I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, But perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps, most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a burning houseboat here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us today to discuss John Travolta and the General's Daughter 
is Jordan Cruciola, a writer and producer and a friend of the pod now. It's so good to have you, Jordan. I like to think I, I'm I'm a fast maker of friends. So I do agree that that is the assessment. Like we've had the, the foundation is built. Fastest. The, the foundation is built. The house. 20 minutes. Yeah. And I love 20 minutes it. and we're, we're already like best friends. This is the yeah, I feel like I feel like if I heard something about you from somebody close to you, I'd be like, oh, that sounds so much like him. Like I would just. <laughs> Like, oh, that, I get that. Like, I get yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's sense. like, it's like we've never spoken to each other, but we just picked up right where we left off. <laughs> we just picked up yeah. right where we left off. Yeah. Cosmically. Yeah. Cosmically. Yes. And yes, I have darkened your doorway with, with today's this. selection. Yeah, what's going on, Jordan? What is going on with this? I So I, I reached out to Jordan a few weeks ago and gave her the list of, of available films or films that we've yet to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and she immediately got back to me. And said, it has to be the general's daughter. <laughs> and I, I'll just say this. My history with the general's daughter is essentially that I kind of forgot this film existed. I never saw it in 99. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in this period, and we'll talk about Travolta's career, because it's in the the bulletproof period of John Travolta's career, where like he's, he's just hot. He can basically do no um, wrong. Mm. I, I, th- I think at this point in his career, this was the beginning of the, the body oh. armor is starting to thin. <laughs> sure, sure. And I Fair. think, sure. and I think the, the 2000s bullets penetrated a little bit. It was yes. a turn. Sure, for sure. But I, I guess what I mean is that there's this, there's this sort of batch of movies post Pulp Fiction, get shorty face off where you're just like, Travolta's in a new movie and it's going to make a hundred million dollars because people are just going to go and see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and For and sure. I and I had no interest in this film when it came out. I was like, oh, a military drama with John Travolta. I'm good. Like I just, <laughs> didn't, I, didn't, I didn't need it in my life. And I I thought I knew what this movie was. I did not know what this movie was. This Most movie is don't. this movie is fucked up. <laughs> like, <laughs> this movie is. Like and and I can't decide because Kenny and I texted a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. Like we were really upset by this movie. Like this movie genuinely upset us on on many levels. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we look forward to diving and unpacking all of those with you. But before we do that, let's rewind to where Jordan was in 1999. Mm-hmm. Where were you in 99? Did you see this film in 99 or around 99? It, or, it definitely, it definitely had, to, if not in 99, around 99, I would have been, I was born in 85, so I was 14 at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I could watch, um, I was allowed to watch pretty much anything. So there wouldn't have been anything <laughs> stopping me. I, like my first, not like, I, I said this before, like my first movie memory, not like horror movie memory, like my, one of my very first memories of life was I watched Hellraiser when I was like between three and five. Wow. And it's that, yeah, it's that scene of like the, my first memory of like cinema is like Frank crawling out of like the viscera and the gore in the attic of that house and like Pinhead. And he's nodding in acknowledgement. I, I, when I was about eight years old, I went to a costume shop to get a Halloween costume Mm -hmm. and I hadn't seen Hellraiser, but I saw the Pinhead mask and I couldn't believe how fucking cool this mask is. It's fucking cool. It's the coolest. So I, I, I begged my mom to get it for me. She said, I can have it if I wear it for three consecutive Halloweens, which I did. <laughs> I mean, so good thing you legend. And I never, I never stopped. I, I had that pinhead mask till I left. But yes, it is like 
that is very, very close can I ask, to my can I, heart? I have a question. First and foremost, it should be said, I am not a horror person, Jordan. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm a big scaredy cat. So totally. generally speaking, don't really watch many horror films. Have not seen Hellraiser. So my question to both of you is, mm-hmm. how did Pinhead become Pinhead? Like how does how does someone have a bunch of pins coming out of their what what makes that happen? I'm, it's not so much that he became. Pinhead. Well, I'm pretty sure the the impetus of him, I'm pretty sure, was um, you find that out. I think in the second movie, okay, um, which is which I think could or is arguably a better movie than the first one. Interesting, because um, just the 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 villainess in that is absolutely fucking unbelievable. <laughs> She's in the first, but she really gets to shine in the second. And you go to hell, you go to hell. Oh, that's cool. And mm-hmm. you're okay. you like you see it realized in the second one. Oh but God. I'm pretty sure it's uh, this guy. Uh, was once tempted, I think, by the lament configuration, the puzzle mm-hmm. box. Okay. And he he opened it and it pulled and it him into hell and he became sort of like chief sadomasochistic ambassador of, <laughs> of hell and like the leader. As the, one does. Yeah, but he became like the lead Cenobite. Like the Cenobites and the Xenomorphs stand as like two of the greatest horror creations of all time. Like perfect upon creation don't need to be changed i'm looking he's up like Zeno the devil's, I have no he's idea like the devil's right hand man he's so like he's, he's like, like the devil's dom like he's like the devil okay like okay. like he's he's whipping satan in hell like for sure i'm looking at at as at a ceno bite right now i, I i'm understanding um, yeah he's a okay. little like clarence williams the third in this movie James Cromwell. <laughs> Interesting. Oh Interesting. yeah, yeah. There's that's a very similar that's a relationship. Very... I think. similar relationship. Okay, so um, so you saw this film when you mm-hmm. were probably around 14 years yeah. old. Yeah, and it was definitely like an HBO situation. It was it was a this would this is my attachment to the general's daughter is those movies that you like always watch when they're on cable. Oh my, that's this sure. movie for me. <laughs> like if if I would be like checking through the menu and if the general's daughter was on TBS, I was watching the general's daughter Kenny's if it was face. on hbo no matter what point in the movie it was in it was like oh of course i'm gotta watch the general's, general's daughter. daughter is far more upsetting than any hellraiser i think that's fair i think that's can, fair. I, just say that, <laughs> can I just say that when jordan when jordan said if this is on i'll probably check it out kenny's eyes just widened slightly <laughs> but why? Like, I will never watch this movie again. <laughs> that's, that's fair. It's a not. It's right. a feel bad movie. A feel bad movie. It All right. Let's let movie. let's let's yeah. start from the start and not talk in vagaries. Mm-hmm. I, I oh, go ahead. If you want to do, yeah, yeah. Let's give, just do the synopsis. Let's give just get stuff. this. Let's give get this stuff. context out of the way so that we mm-hmm. can just get into it. Then uh, I can when, start to understand what's going on. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> when, the, when the body of Army Captain Elizabeth Campbell, played by Leslie Stephenson, uh, who I learned is James Spader's wife, which I didn't know, um, just because we've been on a James Spader kick recently. Wow. No, I love James that. Things, uh, is found on a Georgia military base. Two investigators warrant officers, uh, officers, Paul Brenner, played by John Travolta, and Sarah Sunhill, played by Madeline Stowe. Madeline Stowe! Madeline Stowe, who's great, who doesn't love Madeline Stowe, are ordered to solve her murder. Uh, what they uncover is anything but clear-cut, unseemingly details emerge about Campbell's life, leading to allegations of a possible military cover-up of her death and the involvement of her father, Lieutenant General Joseph Campbell, played by James Cromwell. Well, this film is shockingly written by William Goldman uh, and directed by <laughs> Simon West. Uh, the General's Daughter opened on June 18th, 1999 in third place behind Tarzan and Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. It would go on to make $149 million on a 
60 to 90 million dollar budget it's unclear uh one of those means this movie was a lot more profitable than the other uh it's got 21 percent on rotten tomatoes from critics 46 percent from audiences i'm gonna very briefly read but 100 percent from critics currently on this on this Uh, roger ebert gave it two and a half stars said the general's daughter is as i have said a well-made film it is populated by edgy performances and we get a real feeling for the characters played by james woods as a career man with the secret to hide james cromwell as an unbending officer and father and williams as a man whose hero worships the general to a fault uh travolta demonstrates again as he did in a civil action primary colors that he has developed into a fine actor i also admired the darkly atmospheric look of the film and the way it sustains his creepy mood but i cringed when the death of the general's daughter was played out did the details have to be so graphic did we need to linger on the sight of a terrified woman did the filmmakers hesitate before supplying actual shots of her being strangled can anything be left to the imagination i believe that any subject matter is legitimate for artistic purposes but this isn't (laughs) art it's a thriller that could have spared us the details of this woman's horrible death yeah uh i fully agree guys (laughs) I, i i so rarely go for the hard tale on our patreon (laughs) <laughs> but it's worth it for Jordan's nods and head shakes. Yes. As as, as uh-huh. I read Bill Roger Ebert's reasonable synopsis. review uh-huh. of the general's daughter. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. All right. I have I I I feel like we have uh some more housekeeping to do. Please be, before the main event. Which is uh I want to talk a little bit about Travolta. Yes. And John Where Travolta in general. In so yeah, because yeah, sure. he's our guy. Yeah, and uh, I will say, he, uh, happy birthday to me! Uh, this movie did come out the day before my birthday in nineteen. Oh wow, well, that's oh, nice. So, right. uh, what a what a stars aligning! What a beautiful for, thing! Yeah, that's right. I should I just give a little bit of context as to where we are in his career, just so that people, in terms of like where we or no? Yes, do you know? yes, okay. do it, do it. Okay, do so it. obviously, you know, uh, he George Volta kind of enters the scene, boy in the plastic bubble, Carrie. Those aren't really Travolta films. Saturday Night Fever is when he really enters the fray. We get Grease, Urban Cowboy, Blowout. Then things start to get a little bit dicey for him. He does Staying Alive, Two of a Kind, Perfect. These movies don't do very well. Look Who's Talking. We did a Patreon on it. We're big fans of Look Who's Talking. I like all of them. I like all of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> we have, I have not seen Look Who's Talking to or now, so they, I can't speak. I mean, that's the thing. Perfectly it's like, you ride, your, you ride with your character. Those the Look Who's Talking is good because of Kirstie Alley and John Travolta. Correct. So oh, if I you're riding that. it out yes. with Kirstie and Alley Zinu, and John obviously. Travolta, then great. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, like a, a hotbed of Xenu activity for sure. Xenu activity the Thetans, going on. The Thetans were active. <laughs> All over that trilogy. Sets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but, but the thing is, you watch that movie and you do consider Scientology. Because <laughs> <laughs> backdoor propaganda. It's the, the, weirdest, the, 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 the weirdest thing about Scientology <laughs> and these particular Scientologists is these are my favorite people. Like, these are. <laughs> These like these people, yeah. I mean, I but but normally like cults get you like with Ugh. like you know like slimy shit and scary shit. It's like no no, we're gonna send Jerry Maguire after you, and and like yeah that'll work. We're gonna send you we're gonna send you fucking Rebecca from Cheers. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. come yeah. on, no, yeah, they, I'm got, in. they got I'm really in. good ones. They got yeah, really they got good. good ones. I mean, Leah yeah. Remini is out now. Leah yeah. Remini is like out now, like on the forces of good, but like. Who fucking doesn't? Who's not charmed by Leah Romini? I mean, come on. That's Stacy Carosi. That's yeah. my girl. Yeah. Yep. Like, so, who, who's not had a crush yes. on Leah Romini? I know. All these people that, like, you love Beck. I mean, all these people yeah. you love. Jason Lee. So, and normal people. 
yeah. like normal, like Giovanni Ribisi. Yeah. He's yeah. some great people great who we people. love. Yep. Who we love. So, uh, so he does Lisa look who's Marie talking. He, he does look who's <laughs> talking now in 93, 94. Obviously, everything changes. He does Pulp Fiction. Then it's Pulp Fiction, Get Shorty, Michael, Phenomenon, Broken mm-hmm. Arrow. Wait, wait, wait. I don't think those just get lumped in. Okay. Hold on. Okay. These are movies he was in. These are movies he was in that run. Like those are like if you if if you were like watching movies at that time, like you knew those movies. Those were those were like. I I also just wanted to say one thing very quickly, which comes back to what we were just saying. Because in '96 he has Michael Phenomenon, Broken Arrow, and then Orientation, a Scientology information film where he plays himself. It's a short film and it's on his filmography. Oh, all right. So it sounds like a Scientology orientation film. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like Welcome to Scientology. So this, I I do want to make this point about Travolta. All right. He does uh, Pulp Fiction. He solidifies his standing with Get Shorty. He is now, he is now one of the biggest actors in the world. Yeah. Back in a major way. To the point where, you know, he's, Michael Phenomenon, Broken Arrow yep. uh, are huge movies that make a hundred million dollars based on his um but his involvement alone. Broken Arrow was like, like John Travolta kind of- was so back after Pulp Fiction. I was like of ten when that movie came out, I think. Sure, sure. I knew he was back. I was like the John knew. Travolta yeah. guy's yeah. back. Yes. Like yeah. I, I had a knew. sense yeah. of this yeah. person like being on the scene and being a big deal. And it was like, and I was fucking 10 and it yeah. was just like, That's I how knew pervasive it was. Yeah. Yes, he, exactly. He, exactly. Yeah. One of the few times that I probably 20 times where uh, an actor or actress could make a movie and it was just an event based on, you know, their, their involvement. Yeah. And that, so that included these bad movies, Michael phenomenon, bad movies, broken Harry plays the villain face yep. off an amazing movie, mad, mad city, yep. a terrible movie. Yep. Um, but she's so, so lovely. I actually don't hate, but it's not a great movie, but, but she's so lovely was not really one of these movies. She's a, a lovely was, was more of a, uh, more of an Oscar play to be honest. Yep. yep. But um, and Broken Arrow was a fucking thrill. Okay. Like Broken was great. Christian yeah. Slater. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, yeah. and he was bad. And you know, he, oh. he God, he was good at it that. It was, it was that. That was a savvy pick. That, broken like, arrow. That yes. that grin. Yeah. That yes. Yes. but it gives you it gives you face off, right? Like if you don't get face off with a face off, is brilliant. Face off is as true. good as movies get. Uh, two actors top of their game. Um, play just beyond beyond belief the, the work mm-hmm. they do in that film. Mm-hmm. But then he does. So I just want to say, point this out. Yeah. A civil action, I think, is where he started to miss the mark. Mm. A civil action is a movie that no one wants to see. Um, sometimes you have to see it, but it, it feels like, like, uh, like homework, like eating your fucking, you know, peas. Mm-hmm. So that sticks. I think the general's daughter also seems to fall into that, uh, category too. Having seen it now, it does not. It is in another category altogether. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. and then, uh, a year later, he does, uh, Battlefield Earth and, uh, it's over. Yeah. It's over. I Goodbye. Think, yeah. The, I, Battlefield Earth was really you later. Like, that's where the, that's where the fridge gets nuked. Well, yeah. that's where Adios. He, I mean, yeah. he, that's where so, the fridge gets new. That's right. But a civil action and primary colors in 98 are both uh-huh. Oscar plays. Okay. Like yeah. those are both like Oscar Beatty movies where he's like, I want to win my Oscar. I want to be Tom Hanks. Yeah. Like that's sort of his thing. And then General's Daughter, as we said, an outlier in a myriad of ways, which we'll get into. And then he, he just, he puts all his chips on Battlefield Earth. Like it really is the blank check moment yeah. for him where he's like, Everything mm-hmm. and this is, no this one is wants everything it I believe. Yeah, it, it is Cecil. It is pushing it, is, it in. Yeah, it is fucking Cecil B. DeMille doing the Ten Commandments. Like yeah. it's like yeah. for him. Yes. Yeah, yes, about yeah. Zenu. Uh, <laughs> about 
But, you know, it's so funny. Everyone was so mad about it in 2000. But, like, looking back, it's really kind of quaint. Well, it also, like, it, it... He's he's leaving it all on the field. Like oh, the yeah. performance, the performances in that movie are quite amazing, considering all of the trappings around them. And I still like still one of my favorite things John Travolta has ever done is like that. I just remember so well from that. He's like mocking, I think, Forrest Whitaker's character at some point, And you just hear that very John Travolta like ha, 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 ha. like that madman laugh from him in that yeah, whole yeah. regalia. I'm like, that's a highlight reel for me. It's, so okay. I gotta say, I, I'm looking at this at uh, the Wikipedia page. It's an fucking believable thing. It's that's an ever unbelievable happened. that this movie was that this movie was made and it's 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 crazy. I'll also just say it only had a budget of forty-four million dollars. Like when everything is said and done, that's not that much money. Now, admittedly, it only made twenty-nine, so like it was obviously a disaster in a bunch of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think also people just really, maybe more than anything, soured on how transparently scientological it was. Like yeah. for him to just be basically trying to make a movie to be like, isn't Scientology cool? Yeah. Everyone was just like, fuck off. If this and, wasn't yeah. his like sneaky propaganda movie, this yeah. this movie is built for already having started its Twitter reclamation. Yeah. Like this would be having midnight yeah. screenings. Yeah, like, yeah, if yeah. not for that, yeah. like this yeah. is built for people who love yeah. genre and people who love totally. staking their personality on liking an entire movie just like I do with Jennifer's body. This is yeah. built for people to do exactly that. But because of the icky Scientology thing, it's just yeah. not going to happen. That's the thing. And yeah. it was just so overt and, and everyone knew it. And it just, you know, anyway, so, and then. But he actually know, got, he actually got Warner Brothers to sign yes. on to this. Yes. I mean, he was, he, he, he was, a, he's a, he was, he was a right, he was a top of the marquee yeah. star. He was as, at the that time, star. he yeah. was tantamount with a, with the way Tom Cruise can get a movie made, with the way Will Smith can get a movie made. That was John Travolta then. Yeah. And like and that was all the chips. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I think also, you know, so Blank Check recently did a Nora Ephron series and they talked about Lucky Numbers, which is the other film that comes in mm. for him in 2000. Lucky Numbers, which I watched for the first time in order to keep up with, with Blank Check, is a full-on bizarre movie. Like that movie it's is so, so strange, but not necessarily strange in a bad way. Yeah. Like, just like odd and misguided and just like mean spirit like it's just a very weird film there was no room for a movie like lucky numbers in the monoculture but had battlefield earth not come out i think lucky numbers coming out in 2000 might have been a hit it's just like you can't i mean you can't follow up battlefield earth it might have been a hit but it might not i I, my my argument is like he was already on the way down at this point. Yes, for sure. My argument is, you know, primary colors didn't do what people thought it was going to do. Even though yeah. some people look, look back I at like it and say it's a great film. Yeah, I, I do I think like people look back and say it's a great film. Yeah. And it's an inter- it, it's an unusual Travolta film mm-hmm. because from Pulp Fiction on, so not Pulp Fiction, but Get Shorty on, uh, every movie he was in was essentially John Travolta is doing this, John Travolta is yeah. doing that. And this is the only one in that run where it was really like John Travolta is going to play a character who in no way is based on the John Travolta persona. There and will who, be no dancing. There will be who, no laughing. There will, yeah. And who's like mostly Bill Clinton. Like, yes. Bill Clinton. Yeah, yeah it's like, like oh, Clinton. that's John Travolta is Bill Clinton. Yes. 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 And he's affecting the accent and he's rocking gray hair. And it's like, it's it's a different thing for Travolta. And I think he does a great job because I think he's a very good actor. I do too. I do too. But, um, but that, that was a different kind of play. So I think that didn't do what they thought it was going to do. 
um, or hoped it was going to do. I think a civil action is one of those things where, like, now John Travolta is in movies for grownups, and you know, Mad City, by the way, also is that. Mad City yep, was lame. Yep. yep. Uh, and then this weird movie that <laughs> nuts like Phil and I couldn't tell you what it's about. We just thought it was some stupid uh military i thought it was like i honestly thought it was a few good men like yeah i thought it was gonna be just a shitty few good men kind of like Mm -hmm. john grisham meets a few good men is essentially what i thought it was and by the way the book might very well be that for all i know i have not read the book so i don't i don't want to speak for the book john Um, grisham meets a few good men is so my sweet spot this is not my sweet (laughs) (laughs) but that's what i thought this was is what i'm getting like and at the time in 99 i was like i don't really need that in my life like i just i it was and i'll also be completely honest that like i didn't see a lot of these movies in this sweet spot of travolta's career like i never i never saw um michael until recently because of the Nora Ephron thing i'd never seen phenomenon uh we watched I, a lot of that because my mom was super my mom was super into travolta and so okay. most of my mom was too the house but it just, for all intents and purposes, some of these just slipped by me. So, like, Travolta was not my guy in the sense that I needed to see everything that he had in theaters. I, mm-hmm. it was obviously, he was for a lot of people. Um, and then it's, uh, you know, it's diminishing returns, basically, for the, for the, rest, of, uh, the rest of his career. He's Sword had 20 and, insane years yeah. since then. 20, 20 absurd, 20 years. crazy years. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Where he played Edna Turnblad, where he yes. played the voice of Bolt. Well, yeah, like was, Edna Turnblad is probably the the highlight of that. Like, I think it's to me, it's the objective highlight of. I was look, I'm looking years. at this here, and I'm trying to see like great, what it is. It was is. a great. Yeah. It was a great coup for him. Yeah, it was, great it was. Yeah. coup to get that role because well, it's and an it's going to fall to it's going to fall to something as weird as a as a formerly John Waters property as a John Waters like yeah. extension off John well, Waters property. I think to because like it's going to take somebody. Unex- like for Travolta to have that next like to Edna Turnblad like nobody saw that mm-hmm. coming but it was so charming kind of thing it's gonna take somebody who's kind of like left of center being like you know what call Travolta it's gonna take a softy brothers kind of thing yeah, I mean that's, so that's, like, that's, that's by the way that's not that well, I I don't I don't disagree with that I I actually think that the movie that I thought was point, gonna he's, do that he's, yeah, was man. Savages the Oliver well, Stone movie didn't which is everybody it, right like they Savages. Tried. Savages felt like the movie that was going to save a bunch of careers yeah. because <laughs> there were a bunch of people in the mix there that were like, oh, Oliver Stone's going to make these people cool again. Unfortunately, Oliver Stone wasn't cool anymore. No, <laughs> yeah, and like, like hadn't been for a minute. So like the, the faith in the continuing faith in his output, like the like not that we're talking about him, like yeah. he's not even like he's not like a Ridley Scott even where like you kind no. of trust that still a little bit like. But sure. Oliver Stone has just spent all the capital for me, like Oliver's and his weird yep. fucking what is he doing with geopolitics? Yeah, don't Oliver, give me, yeah, it's for a you guy. Like, it's a very, for you guy. He's he's off the he's off the reservation. Yes, yeah, yeah. that was that that that's all true. The one I, I do want to highlight from yeah, the last twenty years, uh, aside from OJ, which he was amazing in, he was right. Uh, fair, fair. Taking of the Pelham one two three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, that, that's that was that was the lane. I think he could have really kind of mm-hmm. parked himself in. And but they don't really make movies like that. Like he, it's weird that he never really got his big Marvel villain play. You know, like he could have just chewed up one of those films. An interesting thing to me is that, like, with like, I feel like there's there's still sort of voltages wants to be had, but not even necessarily at a Marvel level. DTV is not a dirty word. Like, look at like Scott Adkins, the incredible like 
action phenomenon. Like he turns out stuff on D to DTV, like for like that level of film, excellent action movies that are extremely mm-hmm. entertaining, that are objectively like well done for their craft. He doesn't have to be making bad lower tier movies like you that's actually not the only option anymore it's not like oh well you go to theaters or you make shitty stuff that ends up on on yep. on a line like there I, I there is a way to have this even nickel i think nick cage is kind of the master of this like oh. he's in the volume business he makes a lot of wild expendable shit but every like you can still rely on him to make a color out of space you can yes. still rely on him to, to like, yeah, right. you yeah, can Mandy. still rely on him to be a part of like that movie that's coming out where he's like going to play himself and it's based on his life mm-hmm. like that. That is still an option for Nicolas Cage. It doesn't feel like that is an option in the in the mentality, in the viewing mentality for John Travolta. It's just not. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I uh, the other wants. one who does it, the other one who does it is uh, Bruce Willis, yeah. um, who right. makes. Six films a year you've never heard of. You yeah. don't even know that, that they're happening. And then you could pull Bruce Willis into anything at any time. And high, low, mid-brow doesn't matter. Like, he's yeah. Bruce Willis. But I, I wonder, I, I think you could with Travolta, too. Because I think it really did work with OJ. Right? I, like, yeah. it, like he, he, he actually lent that project <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a, a bit of gravitas that I think it needed. Right? Um, him and to a lesser extent, Cuba, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. I think mm-hmm. like kind of brought brought a, a feature sheen to that project that otherwise you're pretty much playing with the Ryan Murphy players, which are amazing. Mm-hmm. Like some of them, like Sarah Paulson, Sterling K. Brown, obviously. But I think that that was what that project kind of needed for some people to take it seriously. I'm surprised actually that it didn't create a new lane for Travolta like I'm surprised that he didn't or that his reps didn't that someone didn't see like there is an opportunity here like you could do another Ryan Murphy show or it you could do like another TV limited would have been a really smart yes, avenue yes. for it where it was like he because it's when he comes up and there are those surprising Travolta moments you remember you're like oh god this guy's a really good actor yeah yeah and that's always like that that comes after the Travolta of it all <laughs> yeah. because we've been with him so long and he's yeah. been in so, he's yeah. been so many spectacle things that have been good spectacle things but like he's a really good actor and the yeah. idea of getting to live with him over the course of a long character feels like that's a really good thing to for him to offer to us to present to mm-hmm. us what's, but what's like in the, 90 sorry, minutes with him in like shitty movies where that like they don't again they don't have to be shitty but they, they i don't know if it's his choices or what he gets offered but like oh man get yourself a good character there's so much tv there's gotta be yeah. somewhere for you yeah. to go definitely, definitely. I, agree. I agree i think i think what's so interesting about the oj show which is like the best thing that we've done in the last 20 years more or less <laughs> um some of these people wound up uh, exploding off it in a mm-hmm. very legitimate way. Sterling K. Brown goes from yeah. that no one's yeah. heard of to one of yeah. our finest actors. Yep. Courtney B. Vance didn't quite have the same bump off it, but now everyone knows that like Courtney B. Vance is capable mm-hmm. of anything, right? Yeah. Sarah Paulson, I think it took her career to another level. Then there were people like David Schwimmer who were in it and were very good, uh-huh. but were kind of laughed at and got no bounce mm-hmm. off of it. And I think Travolta kind of fell into that he, he was almost on the line. Like, I think he did get nominated for something here and there. I think he was. But but for the most part, I do think Travolta was kind of more in the like, we're going to laugh at you for this performance. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's almost that's almost a failing of PR positioning. Well, I remember I remember there being like I remember the really good feedback coming in about Travolta and the work. But it just kind of seems like just kind of seems like we can't get over the face. 
Mm, like yeah. he just he it's and I don't yeah. like I don't mean that even specifically like, like work done or like ugly or attractive or what and nothing like that. But there's just something about that that John Travolta face. It's like it's almost too familiar to us, and it's almost like yep. we can't let it go. Like we yeah. can't let it go that it is John Travolta. So. I think it's a fault of sort of the viewing audience to never sort of relinquish the novelty of the fact that like, Hey guys, John Travolta, instead of just like letting the fact that he's doing a really good job be its own thing. He also is unfortunately like the internet really turned him into a punchline. I mean, I yeah. think he didn't do himself any favors. The Adina Menzel uh, fiasco. Oh, obviously, Adele will will we'll, we'll live him for yeah, sure. That's the weirdest thing <laughs> ever. So weird. Uh, like, I, that inexplicable. Is inexplicable. Inexplicable. Weirder than Moonlight La La Land. I know exactly <laughs> what happened with Moonlight La La Land. Anyone right. who's like, how right, about right. it? It's obvious. Right. Bell the scene. It would. It would. It what would at least. There would that? at least be something a foundation to it if there was. And Adele does in in our orbit. Like surely there is. It was but the like, craziest thing. In our thing. orbit, but it was just I like think he was drunk. I, I don't get either. it. Yeah, it, was it was crazy. like an it was like a neuro misfire. It yeah, was it was, was a crazy thing. It was a yeah. crazy thing. And and, and it was and like it, just, it was yeah. like seeing it was like seeing the matrix glitch. Like that yeah. was it was a glitch in the matrix. Like. So I, I want to just talk for a second here about I, well, I want to say one more thing. Okay. You started with the wickedly talented, which is like very specific to her. Mm-hmm. You know, like I mean he I and obviously he didn't write that, but still like he was But he with read it. the prompter. Yeah. He was yeah. with, with it to read the prompter. And then he definitely didn't say Adele Dazim. <laughs> and the way he said it too was uh, it was either like dying. he was trying to give it the accent that particular name would have needed, or right. like he knew. Because it was like Adele Tazim. It was like, <laughs> oh no, did you know? <laughs> Or did you just did you? really commit? Like I'm losing it. I love it. I'm I love it. it. So, <laughs> All right. So let's talk wanna, about wanna, this lovely yeah, man. I want, I, but the, the way into it that I want to kind of unpack for a second is something you referred to earlier, Jordan, which is uh, the charisma this guy has, and and the and the Honestly. acting chops that he has. Because I think that one of the things in this film that I don't understand, and there's many things, and I look forward to to Jordan's unpacking of it, is. It actually, he doesn't seem very likable in this movie. Um, he, he's not really using his charm in a way that he usually does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a head scratcher in so many ways. And I, I kind of want to just come at this uh, on a Simon West level for a second here. Because Simon West, this is his second film. The his previous- good Simon West. The, the, sure. Simon West, who I know that you love Jordan, Con Air. So you know, so you know, Jordan. Yes. We have a little history with Simon West. Okay. On screen <laughs> Phil and I did a Jerry Bruckheimer draft on, on screen draft. We did. Ah. We did. And I played Con Air at four, where, where it belongs, and uh, Phil vetoed it. I did. So oh, wow. I love because you wanted I mean, it higher, or you wanted. I did that not shit want it on the list. list. I did not want it on the list. Uh, oh. so I I went into this being a bit. I'm of a the person who would have played Conair. Uh, that would 100 percent been me. So yeah. I, I could tell. I could tell you like General Sauter. Uh but uh, I went into this as a a person who gives Simon West the benefit of all doubts, and I would say <laughs> probably gives him no benefits of any doubts. Of any That's, doubts. I, I actually, first of all. As I said on the on, on our on our screen drafts Bruckheimer draft, I didn't hate Conair. I just don't think Conair belongs on that list. Jerry Bruckheimer has made better films 
And thus, Top Gun was on the list and we're better off for it. That being said, I think that Simon West was a a, a Michael Bay disciple, if you will, a Jerry Bruckheimer mm-hmm. pulling these kind of music video guys and, and having them kind of copy the Michael Bay aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And he does that very well in Con Air. This movie is outside of his lane. He does not know how to direct dialogue. Like he doesn't know how to sit in a scene with people that that is a quote unquote battle of wits, if you right. will. Yes. Okay. I feel you. I feel you. Let let me let me go okay. back to the to Travolta point. I feel like okay. we we rushed okay. past that. Okay. Okay? okay. And I there's but I don't want I don't I want to frame this whole episode differently than our normal episodes. <laughs> All right. Oh no. Okay. Because anybody who's seen the general's dog, general's which dog. is you know 150 million dollars worth of a bunch of people saw it. Yeah. yeah, knows that this is a bad movie, except for Jordan. <laughs> Deeply disagree. So this I movie is to, doing everything it's doing damn near perfectly. So I need to understand. Wow. So so this so so this oh. is more. This is more of a because. Phil, you and I can go on. Can, you and I can can discuss why we don't like this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I and it's am, your show. Uh, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah. This is to me. I want this is a fact finding. Mm-hmm. Why you like this film? So mm-hmm. I'm going to lay out very quickly what I Your think issues? the problem with this okay. film is. Very quickly, what I okay. think the problem with this film, film is. And feel feel free to do the same or or, or yep. jump in or whatever. But I think uh, very quickly, Travolta is is used incorrectly. I think Travolta plays. Um, High status nice guy or low status driver. I think uh, that as asshole is not as lame when he is a protagonist. Um, high status asshole when he's a villain, he's the best. But that's not who he is in this movie. He's supposed to be your way. I think the subject matter is uh, utterly absurd. I think the framing of this uh, this main the, the, the victim is <laughs> is deeply misogynistic. Well, I think that's not wrong. I think it's. Uh, I'm glad we agree on that, Jordan, because I was going to be. I, I was going to be really. Scared. I think <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I think it's politics are all fucked up. I think it has no concept of of what and how uh, to explore the quote unquote issue of women in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean that quote unquote because it, it starts in the beginning. I think it's concept of what rape victims do or how rape victims process trauma is dangerous and disturbing i think the uh the mechanics of the uh the mechanics of the investigation are bizarre i think the use of madeline stowe is just uh to put oh. a damsel in distress um I so can i can i jump in here for a second go ahead go ahead because it, it's it, i don't want this to become too much of a ton of judgment. and i also don't want to make this seem as though no, no, no i'm gonna shut up because well, I'm, right. I, no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm, shut up too I'm, i just i there's yeah. a couple of things that i do just want to quickly highlight and i also just want to make it abundantly clear jordan that uh i very much respect your opinion i am in no way shape or form laughing at it i, I really honestly like this i is, i fear this is no tricky. man's opinion I, nor, nor so. should you nor should you it's it's tricky material, you know what I mean? Just in terms of of mm-hmm. some of the quite frankly landmines, no pun intended, that this movie steps on because mm-hmm. it ends in a very subtle minefield. <laughs> so I I I don't want to kind of suggest that that we're making light of this stuff because it's mm-hmm. not. 
Um, it is tricky material. I think that, and Kenny kind of highlighted a couple of these things. I think this movie, I was surprised by how nasty this movie was. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a nasty movie. Mm-hmm. And, and that nastiness made it so that I kind of got lost in ultimately what it was trying to say and what mm-hmm. it was doing. I, I think that Simon West is adroit at certain things and there's mm-hmm. times when this film did lock into place for me and I was like oh this movie's being like downright silly and then there's other times where it's like whoa what's happening here mm-hmm. how how am I supposed to process this this uh trauma quite frankly that this character mm-hmm. went through um All right. I don't love let's I shut also- up well, hold on. Oh, I want to just sorry, one, one last one ahead. last very sorry, quick sorry, thing because it made me think about um, you've seen eight millimeter. I can only assume you've seen eight millimeter. Yeah, I don't like eight millimeter that much. Right, I, I don't think Kenny and I particularly like it either. I mm-hmm. think it's got issues in terms of how it um, extrapolates the BDSM world and, mm-hmm. and all of that because I think that at this time. Uh, that was used, and I guess maybe it still is sort of used as kind of a cool, kitschy thing to kind of throw into your movie to make it seem edgy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie's interpretation of BDSM is bizarro bonkers town, mm-hmm. where like this character has this horrible trauma, she's raped, and then she gets into BDSM. It's just, it's all very sort of like muddy in terms of what it's saying about that universe and mm-hmm. that world and that predilection um so yeah that that's kind of these are so again i'm gonna shut up because i want to approach I, this I want like to hear- i want to approach this like this is the presidential debate mm-hmm. and we and we can't talk <laughs> and our mic our mics are, our mics off. are off mics are so off i'm gonna do my best to like take notes but i but this is jordan i gotta tell you this is not this is you know we've done 200 episodes yeah. Mm-hmm. This happens every once in a while yeah. where the guest comes on with a very different viewpoint from one of us or both of us. Sure. Uh, right. And uh, I, 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 I don't think that I don't think that uh, I don't really have much much else to say. I, I'm totally, totally interested I mean, in. The, you the think I'm not yours. used to people having different viewpoints than I do on the general's? Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I, I mean, I, I I'm no on idea. an island out here. All right, let's do it. And also, I just want to say, like, this isn't obviously this isn't an attack. Like, I'm genuinely no, no, very, very curious I am, about Phil. I am literally putting myself on mute. I <laughs> dare you to do the same. I'm, I'm I doing dare it you to. I'm doing it right now. I'm muted. No, I, I love a participatory conversation. If, if this is if this is it, if this is my entry point, though, um, I I think all of all of the things that you guys have said, I think are are accurate things to say, but I think they they are expressed seemingly almost as isolated points of critique. When if I feel like if you take all those points as a whole, this movie actually works together on all of those levels where those are pulled out as like, it does this wrong. It does this wrong. It does this wrong. It does this wrong. But I think alongside each other, it actually becomes the whole is greater than, you know, like than the sum of the parts, I think is the turn of phrase because like bless the nineties for being able to give us these movies, the sweaty, cheap, erotic thriller heyday of the 90s. Like, that's why a movie like this can exist. This is like the, this is like the wild things of a few good men. Like, this is taking the John McNaughton sweaty Miami crime, like, sexual intrigue energy of the 90s and and basic instinct and that, like, you know, erotic thriller heyday. And it's like, let's trans, let's infuse that into this is an exploitation film and i think looking at it 
through that lens, I think informs a lot of, and whether or not that's intentional, I'm not going to put that on the creator. I'm not going to be like, you know what, Simon West meant to make an exploitation film. But I think what Simon West ended up making was an exploitation film. The, the charisma of Travolta completely works for me. I, I think hit the chip on his shoulder kind of mood that he plays in this movie that is like named and like, you know, he's dressed down for by James Woods's character, I think actually works perfectly. I think the way that he has that speak through his teeth thing that he does works very well for this like military police officer. And like, you forget kind of how big John Travolta is, like he fills space. And so seeing him in this, like seeing him in the military, the, pol- the, the military police uniform, I think he just cuts the right figure for this kind of role. And I think because he's meant to be manipulating people in the way that he is, we meet him when he's like doing a like an undercover, like a sting operation for people trying to illegally illegally acquire arms. And he's supposed to be sort of this bumblefuck, low-tier striver kind of guy, but is actually just funning people. So when he goes from like the southern bumblefuck soldier who's like in an arms deal to like the soldier who's the military police is actually actually manipulating that guy. I think he pivots back and forth between the various moods, the many moods that this movie demands of him very well. Um, And I think the bottom line of like the idea of how grisly this movie is, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of rape revenge films. And that certainly informs like how I can approach this movie and appreciate it. I find a lot of value in those movies. Why should it be any better for you? Why should this story of this woman's trauma, of this woman's rape, why should this be easier for you to watch? Why should this be easier for you to handle? And I think, the fact of like what we see, like what we saw in Game of Thrones, like the very interesting conversation around the Game of Thrones episode in which Sansa is finally wedded to Ramsay Bolton and he's raping her on, I think that's their wedding night of the many times that he did. And there's that entire scene where we hear Sansa being raped, but we only see the pain through the eyes of Theon Greyjoy. We only see the pain through the eyes of Reek and we are meant to empathize if not as, if not more, as much with the agony of Theon in that moment as we are the agony of Sansa. And that show had a really embattled relationship with rape and exploitation of women generally. But in that moment, to say we're even going to deploy a rape for a narrative reason here, we say, but we're not actually going to prioritize the experience of the victim. We're going to prioritize the experience of this man. I think what this movie does is it's is it gives you this heinous, exploitative premise. This woman is traumatized after being gang raped in college. And then her sort of entire life after is organized around that traumatic event. How's that not true? And why should that be presented as any more palatable than... Why? All right, so I'm jumping in. Yeah, please. On rape, I'm in. Uh, I'm in. All right, so... so Spoken like a true ally, you know? Let's... <laughs> So let's talk about rape revenge films. Yeah. Uh, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about uh, just, I guess, why that, uh, when you say you like rape revenge films, mm-hmm. what is it about them? And what are some examples of uh, rape revenge, I guess, exploitation films that, yeah. uh, that, that you like? I, I think to me, the best sort of classic example is Miss 45. Like, I, I respect what uh, I Spit on Your Grave is doing. It's a very hard watch. Um, I don't enjoy the process of watching it, but I I appreciate narratives or as a genre and horror-like devotee. My, you know, the stories that get me going the most are the ones that revolve around women's vindication. And there's mm-hmm. no more acutely delivered example of that than a rape revenge film. And it takes something that is, it's sort of, it sort of shows you what horror is capable of and what genre is capable of, like of bringing our worst fears to life 
And it takes something that is so common. It takes something that is so that is so proliferate, which is the 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 rape and 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 violate rape and violation against women, which is endemic to the society. It takes something and it presents it to you in the most unsparing and brutal ways possible. And yes, at times we fall on the wrong side of that exploitation and empowerment line. That's a very delicate dance, and it's something that I think is one of the most fascinating aspects of these kinds of movies is that it shows you the what empathy can look like and what exploitation does look like, and it asks you to find the middle in that, which is a really deft exercise in filmmaking. I think the watching the arc and the evolution of rape revenge films from the 1970s to the present is an incredible microcosm of studying how women are valued on screen and how we treat them and how we involve them either as collaborators or subjects and objects to be used. Mm -hmm. And I think when you see the new wave of of exploitation, rape revenge-ish films that have come out in the past, like really five years, MFA, I know Jennifer Kent doesn't like The Nightingale being classified as a rape revenge film, but that in sort of technical grounds, it very much is. Literally Revenge by Coralie Farge, uh, Promise a Young Woman falls into that category, but in a sort of atypical sense. Um, I can think I, the way. Can I ask a question? Sorry, yeah. I don't. I don't mean to. I certainly didn't mean to interrupt you. I. I. I want to just kind of because with with this film in particular, you know, mm-hmm. Kenny and I talked about this back in the early days when we started this podcast, and it's something that I continually come back to. It's obviously yeah. something that that, that I um, talked a lot about in film school. Uh, intent. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you intend to do something and whether or not you fall into something. Yeah, and whether yeah. or not a film is stronger or weaker for being on either side of that line. Yeah. And and you mentioned it earlier with Simon West in this film in mm-hmm. terms of what he intended to make and what he perhaps accidentally made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's one of sort of the things that that bucked me a little bit on the film mm-hmm. is 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 just not necessarily feeling that intent and not really understanding necessarily what the filmmaker was trying to do uh-huh. and what he kind of fell into. I feel like, I feel like the way, the the reason, like even watching this, I like this movie even more now than I did when I was watching it constantly on, sure. on TVO and HBO, TBS and HBO ages ago and sort of steadily throughout my life. And what I like, what really impresses me about it is that it's not in favor of any of the shitty things. Oh, I don't like, think it is. I'm, yeah. and, and I don't think you guys think it's supporting it, but like yeah. the way that it, the way that it, the way that the characters play out their roles is mm-hmm. so, and like these, mostly everybody's horrible, feels so real. Like when we meet, like when, even when John Travolta meets Elizabeth, like she helps him change the tire and he immediately starts like putting on the charm and he shows up in her office and he takes that seat in her office and he presumes yeah. and he sits down. That's exactly what happens. Men showing up entitled to your time. That's exactly what happens when like she starts changing the tire and she's just on the ground trying to do her job. And he's just staring straight at her while she's like trying to help and do her work. I was like, yes, that is a very real kind of everyday occurrence and invasion in women's spaces that is incredibly genuine. When we meet the guy, when we meet the soldier the friend of Elizabeth's from West Point who stood by and tried, did quote unquote everything he could to stop a half a dozen men from gang raping her over the course of a night, spreading her as they say, tent staked out, spread eagle on the ground. I did everything I could. Elizabeth was my friend. That is what men do. Men protect men. Like that is a completely resonant depiction of what happens when you see these instances of men being suddenly they're put on trial for something that they've done in the rare sense that they're ever brought close to justice. And you realize how along the way 
how many people it took to protect them for them to not be there sooner. It is entire organizations, systems, social groups, norms that allow men to get away from being prosecuted for violating, for abusing, for murdering women. And yet still, and this movie does, again, whether intentionally or not, it does a great job of framing how no matter what would have happened, it would have been Elizabeth's fault. At at every turn, it reinforces. It reinforces. There's an incredible, like, there, like, there's that moment where James Cromwell and um, John Travolta, and I love James Cromwell as a bad guy. Oh, my God. And the I, this is the worst possible bad guy that you could be. A father <laughs> abandoning his daughter after, she, after she's heinously raped, and he plays it with all seven feet of his, like, yeah. menacing terror and just, like, dry procedural be-a-good-soldier-by-the-bookness. And there's, like, he's, he's in this confrontation with John Travolta, and he says it would have permanently damaged women in the military. It would have damaged West Point. Every interest is put ahead of a woman. Every interest is put ahead of her life and her safety and her well-being in the event that she is attacked. And at every instance in this movie, we are reminded of that. The promising young men who attacked her. You know, we'll never find them anyway. And this will damn... What about all those thousand soldiers who didn't gang rape a woman that night? What about them? And it says that over and over again. And the like when they're down in her, her BDSM dungeon and they talk about how like if this comes out, like like James Wood's character, he says, like, do you think this is worth ruining the life of a girl who's already dead? Because he knows if this comes out, it ruins Elizabeth and she's already fucking dead. And she can be dead. She can be a body on a slab, having been raped and murdered, laid out in an army base, choked by her own panties. She can have that happen. And yet somebody who cares about her still has to worry. I won't participate in her character assassination with her gone because it would be. And if she got found out in process, they know they had to bury that she was fucking every man on the base and participating in these like leather dom predilections because if anybody found out about her, yeah, it would corrupt daddy and it would be a problem for the base, but it would ruin Elizabeth. It would ruin her life. And the reinforcement of that at every turn, I was like, no, that's exactly fucking true. I, I, and I it does it so dirtily and so upsettingly <laughs> that it's like, it does. honestly, yes, the shittiness of this movie is commensurate with the shittiness of patriarchy. Like it is. It I don't. Is but I don't. I don't. Gross and fucked as the system. But don't I don't. Necessarily, right, so this, hold on, this is. This is. But this is what I'm bumping up against. Yes. Okay. Please. All that could be true. Sure. But at the end of the day, isn't it also affirming the patriarchy? Isn't it also saying it's almost like the right wing, you know, the only way to stop a a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. The only sure. way to stop a bad man is with a good man. Like, the, oh, sure. The, I, I mean, but, 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 I, but that's then a I, problem. I, oh, sure. But I also like I will forgive the 1999 of it all. Like if this movie were made in 2021 and you did that, I'd be like, what is this 1999? Like. I don't expect a movie of this era at this time to have punched higher. I am in fact, I'm in fact kind of taken aback at how assertive it is. Like the way that it, the way that it gets to the, like the insidiousness of like, don't ask, don't tell like the way that it presents the position that James would like, Oh God, I wish James Woods wasn't an absolutely odious, horrible person. Cause he really delivers <laughs> and he he's doing a great job in this role. And he's a closeted gay man. He's in a relationship with his lawyer. Like it shows you the deleterious effects of that man having been closeted of the position that he is forced to put himself in for fear of being outed 
he goes, he gets thrown in the brig. Like the ways in which he has to move himself around the system, to be honest, with basically only one person around him who is Elizabeth, who is this mentor of this mentee of his. Like the way it touches on that, the way it talks about like when James Woods is in the cell with John Travolta and John Travolta has him up against the wall and he's like, you don't have rights here. You don't have the right to remain silent. You don't have the right to an attorney. You're a soldier. And I'm like, that's a fucking indictment. Like, that's not that's not pro-military. That is an indictment of how this works. Having the general, like having the head of West Point, knowing that this woman, the daughter of this like big deal general has just been gang raped by multiple students at this academy and dad flies in and they're having that like man to man over booze. And he's telling him like, you know, Joe, we just can't have it. It'll ruin the academy. Like to have a high ranking military brass member sit there and talk about how the life of a woman is not worth that of the reputation of West Point Academy, because why would we change West Point? Why would we change? Why would we change this when we can just pretend it never happened? And the emphasis throughout the movie of why would we change anything when we can just protect the way it is, is, is also resonant now. Like that is extremely true. Now the things, the ways in which this points out that the systems that work against victims are shitty are actually as true now as they were in 99 as 1999, as they ever were before it. So like, I think the ways in which this movie condemns its bad guys and its bad guys become representatives of individual arms of a system that exploits and represses women and and the marginalized and and queer folks shit like i think those things those things are actually entirely like true and i think the the shittiness and the sweatiness and the sort of crudeness with with which it addresses those things i think is actually commensurate with how bad and sick and gross those things are i don't know why this movie should have a gentler hand i don't know why this movie should put a glove on like i I think this movie is exactly as fucked up and corrupt and makes you feel gross as it should considering how bad it is in the subject matter that it's talking about and the notion of like how victims respond to i know multiple people who like many people are not involved at all in like leather and domination and like Folsom street fair stuff because something bad happened and that is not a one one, it's not a commensurate thing. Correct, correct. When he says, like, she, the way she died appears to be connected to the way she lived is yeah. one of the worst moments of this entire movie, but it's regressive at an older time and absolutely, absolutely representative of something that a man watching that tape would do, particularly at that time, being like, oh, well, she was asking for it. Like, saying that is in no way detached from the spirit of, well, what was she wearing? Well, was she drunk? Those are absolutely the kind of character assassinating questions that would come up if I, something like that happened to a woman. I, I don't so, like. Agree with what you're saying, but I'm. I, I guess I'm less impressed by it than you are. I'm because necessarily I, impressed by it. I, I don't think it was like some feat of engineering. I think you can do certain things, like the way I feel about the movie Neon Demon. I think the movie Neon Demon is so effectively misogynist that the snake starts to eat its tail and it becomes feminist. And I'm not saying that this movie is feminist, but I am saying that I think if you can present such a clear eyed and disgusting picture of something that is bad in like an unsparing way, it actually becomes a more effective critique than maybe you even intended to to make because it 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 approaches the material with enough like harsh light of day on it 
that it becomes you will you are able to scrutinize it for as bad as it is as opposed to it being framed as something more palatable i want to be clear on one thing or more narratively like i don't know i want to be clear on one thing it's it's not the i i when i was listing off my list of grievances sure i didn't i didn't include the the brutality and the graphic nature of the rape Uh, i just know that was a a critical aspect that's not my issue with it oh no no no. yeah so that's that's not where i come down like Mm -hmm. uh there's a time and a place for anything in film. Mm-hmm. Um, things that happen in real life or things that even don't happen in real life are acceptable sure. in art. So that's not, in and of itself, that's not my issue. And that's not even really my issue within the context of the film. I don't... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I, I, that's just not that's just not something that enters no, my mind. Totally it's fair. More of the it's more of the idea that. Uh, this movie's politics mm-hmm. when they hit the mark are good and when mm-hmm. they don't hit the mark are regressive in 1999 and we, and we can ignore that, that I'm less impressed by because the things that you're talking about mm-hmm. are things that have been part of mainstream movies mm-hmm. forever, right? Yeah. At least in the 70s. But really, if you look back, like even that the Hayes Code stuff, but just oh, in yeah. more, you know, kind of... um you know, kind of subtle ways for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. But I think about a movie like, you know, The Accused, for instance, which is, Mm -hmm. which is explicitly about what you're talking about, which is explicitly about the ways in which the tentacles of this machine work in all different, all different ways. Mm -hmm. So that to me, the idea that like, James Cromwell is the ultimate big bad. And the Mm -hmm. idea that he was ultimately protecting the daughter, protecting his, the military or the army over his daughter. Mm -hmm. That was telegraphed from the moment I walked into this film. Oh, sure. That's what I, that's a, that, to me, that's a problem. And I don't care. <laughs> it's not even, if I, I'm have not talking, fun get, if I have fun getting there, then like, okay. But, but that's my point. I, it's not that I have Which a problem. Which is why I've never been a of, critic and never will be. No, it's not, I, I, my problem isn't that it was telegraphed in terms of I didn't mm. like the big reveal. Yeah. It's that my expectation, having, you know, been weaned on, years and years and decades and decades of movies totally is that the system is corrupt that the system is going to do the the wrong thing in the Mm -hmm. end of the day the system's going to protect the system and going to you know going to seek out the self-interest of the man with the most power Mm -hmm. even over their family members which i've seen Mm -hmm. over and over and over again Mm -hmm. so because i think that's basically the baseline expectation for a film like this Mm -hmm. uh i then have problems with Everything else, they all the other decisions that they made, sure. particularly you know the 
I I have a hard time. I will say, if you're holding up the accused as like a better example of this, if you remember how the accused ends, it ends with a man speaking up in the nick of time to get Jody the case. Tw- 17 years earlier. So like, right, but like, I, it, but like if you want to talk about something coming down to it, like, I get a, it. A, it takes some, it takes a good man to stop something because like in the wake of a bad man, the movie does the same. But thing. I'm not it's arguing still- for, I, I'm not arguing for the accused. I'm arguing that, that I think the accused is 85 or 86. I think yeah. that my, I'm arguing that the, that the accused got here 13 years earlier. And there mm-hmm. were movies that did it a lot, a lot earlier too. Yeah. I'm arguing that I'm arguing that we, that any movie go or anyone who's watched these movies, yeah. uh, you know, courtroom dramas or dramas out the military know that the vast majority of Hollywood directors have kind of a, you know, cockeyed view of, of these systems. Yeah. Uh, particularly Don't from, use it know, as your primary source. Right. So, so, I I more feel like um in terms of the Elizabeth character mm-hmm. that it, I have a hard time, you know, Phil told me that you viewed it as an exploitation film and I yeah. kind of tried to understand that. I don't see that sheen here. I see that there are expo- exploitative aspects of this, mm-hmm. but in terms of the, you know, the the wish fulfillment part of that. Mm-hmm. I don't see that. Like I see. Oh, a, I don't think. I, and see, I don't. And see, that's why. See, Promising Young Woman is my favorite movie of last year, and I consider it coming out last year and this year because it did. So it's my favorite movie of this year too. And I don't imagine it's going to be unhorsed. That movie is the antithesis of wish fulfillment, and I think in a genre of movies where it, it does so much revolve around wish fulfillment, and we do get that. We do get that so much. Um, in, in sometimes you know cold you know, cold comfort and sometimes like red hot, bloody satisfaction. But I think having alternatives to that wish fulfillment is also like, I think that also has to, at, at points, for sure, correspondence to a more realistic play out of how these things go, which is that, and like the idea that that they're, they're he's going to court-martial the general as if that would ever fucking happen. This military police guy is going to court-martial the three-star yeah, the James, Qua- James Cromwell general. But well, like they- that to me is satisfying in the moment. Like and and the thing about being the thing about being a woman and being a queer woman watching movies forever is that you become like people become kind of creative geniuses at finding themselves and their needs in between the lines of things because we're so rarely given what we want or what we need or what is true in text. So we the the head cannoning operation of women watching like exploitation and exploitation adjacent films if those are things that we like. We just get on and like you know not that every woman likes these kinds of movies or that if you like these kinds of movies you like the general's daughter. Most people fucking hate this movie, but like it's still like I'm I'm very much. I'm very much conditioned to immediately start like molding things in my mind that are superficially satisfying to me and finding the pathways where they can become more substantially satisfying because I certainly just frankly don't have the expectation that most people are going to be able to deliver like material of integrity in this way ever because I'm used to being let down and there's no reason I should like develop unrealistic expectations that men are suddenly going to know how to tell these stories. And least of all, one that I think may have slipped ass backwards into the things that it did right. Which, which I, I, I would argue, I don't I this film does. care if it's yeah. slipped ass backwards. Yeah, so I, don't I, think I personally you, you, you don't. Yeah, I don't care. I, I think it's, it's not. I don't. It think arrived he, he, as it arrived. The issue, the the issue of intent, honestly, is more something for an executive deciding whether or not to finance the guy's next movie. In terms of whether or not, like you like the film, uh, it means almost nothing to me. 
as long as like if if I mm. if I sense malicious intent or like negligence, that will bother me. Like like the movie Malcolm and Marie. I have like having nothing to do with however they talk about media and critics in that movie. That movie made me extremely uncomfortable because I felt like the intention of that movie was to give you this like relationship drama where these two people gave as good as they got Mm -hmm. when what it actually is is a movie about an extremely abusive relationship where a a man, an older man, is keeping a younger woman emotionally hostage after he, like, brought her out of a difficult time in her life and continues reinforcing to her that she's only around because he helped her. And then he breaks her down throughout the course of the movie and then tells her, but no one will ever love you like I do. And it is such an apparent, abusive archetype of a relationship. And I really don't think the intent of the filmmaker was there. And such as such, I think that movie actually is really irresponsible because I think the intent was like, look at these two fiery people go at it when the end result was, look at this abusive relationship where you're going to be watching the entire time thinking, Marie, run. Marie, get out. Marie, don't come back. Marie, you are in danger. Like, Marie, this only gets worse for you. So that to me, that that negligence of what I saw was negligence of intent that bothers me. And it didn't descend to that level for me, at least in how I was receiving, at least in how I received this movie. But I hear I, what you're saying. I, I also just, you. I do just want to say, I, I, I understand the, the thought of this film is working for me for this reason. And even mm-hmm. if they meant to do this, sure. it's working. And, and I understand that art is fluid and that it should be interpreted the way that it should be interpreted. At the same time, I think that if a film is, is completely ineffective at, mm. and I'm not, this is not about the general's order. I'm speaking in general about just film. Sure. If a film is ineffective at, at achieving its goal sure. in any way, shape or form, yeah. that film is a failure in one way or another. Yes. Now I understand that you might still enjoy that failure. Well, how do you know what the goal is? If Schindler's List, you know, makes you laugh from credits <laughs> to credits, it's there, there's something broken perhaps in the viewer and also yeah. in the way that that film has been made. Yeah, I hear you. So but that, that's not an, but that's not an example. That's real world. So like, well, I, 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 I yes, you understand my point, made, which is that if you I, make a, if you make a comedy and it makes someone cry, or if you mm-hmm. make a, a, a drama and it makes somebody laugh, you have been ineffectual in your goal. You've elicited in, in those, a response. So that's something. Extreme, but in those extreme examples, I agree with you. That, but, that's I, but but those are extreme examples. In the case of a film like Malcolm and Marie, I I do think I, I mean I'm gonna say this very delicately. We know enough about Sam Levinson to to go into those movies mm-hmm. to go into his his stuff. Yeah. With you know, with, with our you take inferences. Antenna, your eyes are open. Bit, yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Our antenna's up a little bit. We know what this guy's done before. We know what he's doing now. We know where he comes from. Mm-hmm. And if something strikes you differently from the rest of his work, mm-hmm. you, it, it is certainly reasonable to ask yourself, is this, do I trust this guy? Do mm-hmm. I trust this guy's ability to tell the story? Because the story you were telling, Jordan, uh-huh. let's, assume, let's assume it was made by there actually literally is a person named director x but director x <laughs> right yeah, yeah, uh, yeah some random director yeah. yeah you might be intrigued to watch that person's next movie to see if that's the kind of films they're trying to make these like you know covert subtle horror films about women in bad situations i don't i don't think i i don't i, I don't because I, I whatever baggage i brought in from levinson which i did into that movie 
I was completely taken aback by that. I was like, oh, what I didn't expect was for this movie to feel like a tacit support for this kind of relationship as just what creative people do. I didn't see that. That completely blindsided me. And I thought of how, however, anything I'd feel about that movie, I didn't feel like I would see something that felt like somebody creating abuse, but not naming is it abuse. And therefore maybe not understanding what abuse is and making Mm -hmm. a movie that kind Mm -hmm. of made it seem like a necessary intrinsic part of just like what creative people do with each other behind closed doors. And I was like, there are ways in which I think Sam Levinson is an irresponsible storyteller. I didn't expect that one to happen. So that one, like it, it, it lent to my uneasiness yeah, not having been prepared for that. I was can like, I ask, hmm. can I ask a question though, in terms of uh, within the same milieu, but just in terms of general's daughter and looking at Simon yeah. West's output and mm-hmm. looking at him as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard for me to really, I'm not suggesting that the things that you unpacked aren't, accurate like i think that everything you're saying tracks for me a hundred percent and it certainly has made me look at this film through a completely different lens and i appreciate that but i also not to not to harbor on this intent thing but i really don't feel like simon west necessarily came into this to make the film that you've gleaned yeah i don't Uh, which doesn't take away from the film that you've gleaned no it's just like like I, I, as I said earlier, you know, we were talking about Travolta, and I and kind of mm-hmm. dipped into the Simon West thing on on a purely sort of like technical level of a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I look at this film, and I think this film is decidedly well made on a technical level, right? Like it's 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 not actually nearly as kinetic as I thought it was going to be. It no, wasn't actually. I actually like the I like yeah. the southern lethargy that it sort of infuses, Absolutely. and, the, and the, I, the fact that everyone looks uncomfortably perspiring sure. all I, I, the time. I, I like the the, the this way. I didn't I, like I, the the vibe of the film, and yeah. by that I mean just sort of the aesthetic and the tone of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think is is generally effective. Mm-hmm. I I think that there are there are shoehorned action set pieces like the mm-hmm. under the under the houseboat. Oh my god, I love it! The, just tack it boat. on. No, it's, fucking tack I, it on. I'm all for it. I the just fact wish that this movie opens movie. with a pretty grisly shot of a man's head going into a boat motor and you watch right. it like go, 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 go. I was like, oh yeah. boy, that watching yes. that now, yeah, I'm like, I, wow, that really sets the table for what's about to come, doesn't it? Correct. I, I thought it, I thought it looked pretty cool and I had no idea why it was happening. Oh yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> it was great and I love that. I but love I, that. But this that's kind of my point, which is that like when the movie's in that mode, I was like, okay, I kind of get this. Mm-hmm. The movie's just vacillating a lot in its tone and in some of its issues, I think come from a director that doesn't feel confident in certain modes of this movie mm-hmm. and confident in others. When he's it's it, the two-hander uh, scenes. I want to make like, a, I really want to make a point. See, and I like okay. I buy what these characters are selling. I love James okay. Cromwell and, and John Travolta in the Ted Tet. I love weird Clarence Thomas the third, just like looking like his veins are going to explode out of his <laughs> Thomas is the, is the Supreme, yes, Court horrible Justice. Supreme Court justice. Clarence <laughs> yeah. Williams, the third, like yes, I love yes, just yes. looking at him being like sure. a contained explosion. Being yeah, good. Yeah. Entire movie. Yeah. Madeline, Timothy Hutton is being perfectly like not bad. Nice guy. He's so exactly gross. I love him. In this. He is. 
And yeah. they, they do, they do damsel, they do damsel Madeline Stowe a few times, but they also make her that bad bitch that Madeline Stowe always is. And when she's like marching through West Point, just like yes. fucking with soldier boys, was like, this is the Madeline no, that Stowe. Was that was great. I like that. I was, yeah. Oh, yeah. So she, I, I want to, her and Paul are, are co equal branches of crime fighting. In this I, I want to take you through my journey with this film a little bit <laughs> because I go into every film, you know, hoping to like it. Why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, very generous with movies. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? You got to sit through it for an hour and a half. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully you like it. And Probably so I, 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 I watch again. There's some shit in the beginning that I'm like, okay, with all right, I can handle it. You know, like I, I, I like Michael Bay in theory. I realized I like him a lot less in practice than I thought I did. <laughs> and see, uh, I think a real important route here is that I am, I am like definitely in for about 80% of Michael Bay's output. I am, I'm, I'm, wow. I'm I fucking love okay. Transformers. I love Transformers 2. The racist shit is really bad with those Autobots and that should have never happened. Um, but like as far as like delivering a, the specific aesthetic sheen yeah. on a specific kind of action movie and executing in a way that only he can, there are many Michael Bay pretenders, but there is only one Michael Bay in his like dirtbag actioner extraordinaire. I agree with that. I, can I, I, what was, it, what was your journey with this? Sam Witwicky are one my, of the great couples. My journey with Michael Bay, very simply, is I would have said the same exact thing as you before we did the Bruckheimer draft that I watched a lot of Bay and I realized I really only love The Rock. But... Um, <laughs> And I really love The Rock. And I, you know, kind of... You should. And I, and I <laughs> you think should. Trans, but I actually think Transformers, like, I loved seeing Transformers in the theater because there was something about those big abbe, Michael abbe, Bay scenes where I'm abbe, like, abbe, the abbe, man abbe. is back! Like, he's, yeah. giving me the, he's giving me the Michael Bay thing with the fucking scores being I did in the slow-mo. And yep. it just... It's great. Okay, so, Yeah! The urban landscapes and the machines. and All right, so... Un- He's Michael Bay, oh. and I and I'm always Michael down Bay. for I'm always down for like all right maybe this is is gonna itch that scratch that rock itch for me right right you're right? always chasing you kinda, that you high the, you, and you hit that Brockheimer thing you have the rain you have yeah. like the the Crimson Tide military the, the, shit the flares like, and the backlighting work, right? like yeah and that's all in this. this. Well, yeah. so I'm like, this might I might be down for this, and then like you know you start with you start up with Elizabeth, mm-hmm. and you know. I, I literally wrote down, like, first thing I'm thinking is, like, God, they're so sexist. And I'm like, wait, the sexism is the point. Okay, the cool. See, sexism. that's where I'm at. The sexism so is the point. I, I got, so I was there, right? I was there for a little bit. And then it started to fucking, you know, kind of occur to me. All right. When she's dead, mm-hmm. spread eagle, uh, completely, you know, untouched, yeah. essentially, yeah. Yeah. N- naked, but she's mm-hmm. not, you know, showing no signs yeah, of being she is, dead. Yeah, she is, she, like, all the, she, she only died of asphyxiation. She yeah, was so essentially she, untouched. And and Travolta's line, when he leans over her body, having met her and, you know, kind mm-hmm. of maybe hit on her a little bit, was she's a she was a lovely, lovely lady. Mm-hmm. I started to think, okay, you can't really do a movie about sexism in the military mm-hmm. when the people making the movie are sexists. And that's Well, I've got of- a century of cinema to show you. <laughs> but I know, but that's the point. Like that that the fact that Believe like, this me, has I've been living lot- under the limits of men's fucking imaginations for my entire <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. Like but Jesus fucking, do you like- want me to enjoy anything? Do you want me to enjoy anything? <laughs> 
Christ. Maybe not. Maybe not. So you if obviously I was get, waiting for men to be I'm good saying, at this, but, then I would never a, get there. But it's just a weird paradox to say, like, isn't it just? <laughs> isn't it just? <laughs> isn't it just right. fucking weird? This, I, I basically, I basically am saying, like, hey, Jordan, I figured out everything you've known your entire life. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, but it, it, in it's in that dichotomy, what it, what it unintended, because I think, I think, I think West. Because this movie does have such earnest moments in the way that it is, it feels sad for Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. I really do think, I really do think this is a guy like being like in the way, like kind of like Sam Levinson with Assassination Nation. I remember texting a friend when that movie came out and she was like, it feels like Sam Levinson just learned about the patriarchy and texted some girlfriends and was like, guys, Mm -hmm. have you heard of this? Huge sure. if true. <laughs> we gotta tell people. We Huge gotta fucking tell people about how bad this is. Like, and it feels like it feels like Simon West, like is somebody like like who is like a guy who made this movie like in 1999. And mind you, I love this run of three movies. I'm looking at it right now. It goes Con Air, The General's Daughter, Laura Tomb Croft, Raider. Tomb Raider. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's almost the entire explanation of what we need to know. Yeah. I feel like really, this is a guy making this movie where like, he's like, yeah, I'm going to make it kind of fucking like cool. Like it's going to hit hard. It's going to be sexy nineties. Cause that's what we do. We love like sweaty. We love yeah. perspiration mm-hmm. and like sheen yeah. and all that stuff. And we love a pretty girl and we do erotic thrillers. He's like, but you know, what's also fucked up? The military. You know what's up? <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. You know what's but fucked up? Great. <laughs> we're gonna say something. We're gonna talk about it. But this is why we should hate this movie. We're gonna do it. And then at the end of it, he was like, "We did something here. We fucking did something." You, you guys, we should be fucking proud of this. Yes, you're 100 right. That's why we should hate this movie. That's right. It is the it is the brilliant of all time. Isn't this fucked up? Isn't this fucked up? Well, being a part of the machine about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I hate to bring it to you guys, but in most cases, that's the best we've got. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not the best we've got. It ought, no, but in '99, it like, might have been though. At, something we've the, got. If you look at the, because like if you look at the general population, it's not the best we got. But you winnow that down into filmmakers, oh, and then you winnow yeah. that down further into filmmakers sanctioned by studios to put out movies on three thousand screens, and you have a very small sample size. And so, like, <laughs> you have people who really, with like even like with the best of intentions, like oh, this... I, I would, I, you know, maybe. <laughs> I hear you. I'm going to say probably this is like the most he was capable of with like feminism. And so like he did his best. (laughs) Can I just, I just want to say that. And that's why as the woman you have, that's why as like where, what, from my experience, what you do is you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fill in all those holes you left. And I'm going to find the subtextual readings of everything you left behind because you just weren't Uh, there all the way to deliver it. But I can find enough meaning to create an oral history of this movie in the tradition that we do to give it a greater punch than what you were capable of imbuing it with. Like you put oh, it down and God. I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to carry it across the finish line for you. Cause that's I had the exact opposite viewpoint because everything you're saying is true and also hilarious. But my point <laughs> was like, I said this to Phil, yeah. I said, this is almost green bookian in the that's, way. And like, I hear what you're saying. I hear you. Like this is a very well-made movie by a professional filmmaker with professional yeah. people behind it. But at the end of the day, what I feel like it's perpetuating is this idea of like, uh, like there are bad men who are nothing like you. Yeah. And then there are good 
good men. Who yeah. are you? Who are just a little sexist? Just yeah. a little sexist. Just and little, that's yeah. good. Those but are the they heroes. Have, they have those are the uh, but I have a lot of women friends. Yeah, like, that those is, are the like, heroes. Yeah, like those the heroes are the guys exactly. who are like, you know, like not the ones, you know, a male, a male feminist. Mm-hmm. Those people are villains too. Like you, Travolta, mm-hmm. you say things like, and I had to write it down. Today we have to boil people before we have sex with them. Yeah. yeah that <laughs> is the that is you, Mr. You know, good guy in the audience who knows oh, it's yeah. wrong yeah. to choose a system over your dead raped daughter. Yeah. But that so I like, yeah, I, think, I fucking like, hate condoms too, John. I thought this was like su- I I did. I think this was like a super insidious movie where like we're like reasonable, like it's because you know, reasonable people like the parents of America would go see <laughs> this movie. Reasonable. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You're, like your typical parents of America who yeah. like loved Green Book and were like, yeah. yeah, that's how it should be. Black and white people getting along yeah. uh, would come out of this movie and be like, God, it was so terrible with it to, to the daughter. Like, yeah, we're, like, like the military should be better than this. Yeah. Not yeah. like the military is a problem, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's I, that's where I came down. It's like this is an insidious movie. But like, and I think that no, and I think that is, I think that's completely legitimate. And I think the, I think the value of a, of a general's daughter, in a sense of talking, like wanting to even talking about talk about it in 2021, is that these this exact conversation where both parts of this com, where both sides of the conversation are fervently expressing the viewpoint because both are right. Yes, this movie is not. This does not measure up. This movie is not doing like delivering its message well enough. And yet at the same time, understanding that there is like a surprisingly incisive way of its message that like because of the ways it lacked and the ways it fell short being like, wow, but I like it is kind of surprising that in like in the midst of falling short in this way, it's still saying these really pointed things that a movie falling short in this way kind of seems like it shouldn't be capable of or even interested in. So it's a fascinating discussion piece yes, of I a hear movie, you. which is like all of this, all that we are doing. This is why I love the general's daughter, because it's <laughs> actually not just this thin kind of trashy pulpy movie that came out in 99 there's actually a lot to dig into here. And it, it, because of the, because of that broishness, I think because of that, like the bro allyship that, that I think is kind of present here, it is that kind of bro allyship is uniquely suited is well, is perfectly suited to giving you the worst kind of shitty archetype guys, because at the core, it's still pretty broy and it still knows those guys and kind of is those guys. So like when you have mm-hmm. the scene with Madeline, so in the shower with that soldier who like, is at first like, what can I do? You know, what can you do for yeah. me, honey? And then she's like, I'm with CID. And he's like, Oh fuck. That is exactly how that's like immediate. He wouldn't assume that this is a person he should defer to or even ask what her status is yeah, walking yeah. into the shower. He assumes you're meat. And he's got his buddies around him, so he performs a little bit. Like, when he even says the thing about it, he kind of looks around at everybody as he starts laughing, like, huh? Huh? And it is that, like, performance of approval that you see. And when she sits down, and the way she slowly works him down and down and down, and she has to do it with honey until she, like, until she can finally put the vinegar out, Mm -hmm. because that's that dance you have to do. You have to manipulate and ingratiate with this man who is bigger and stronger in you and who can overwhelm you in order to get what you want out of them because as a trade of power it's not a one-to-one 
unfortunately it isn't there are too there's too much history behind of too much bad stuff to mean that madeline stowe walks in and even after she flashes her badge being on a one-to-one with this man who's still going to default to his mechanisms of dominance to overpower he even stands up at one point to leave and she's like you can sit your ass down and then he's like oh okay i'm gonna sit down again would he have gotten up at all if that was john travolta sitting there certainly not if it was james cromwell sitting there and then the way she just like the way she walks him through and the way he just folds in front of her about the like she was and when he says the thing like the but one of my favorite parts of this movie is when he says she Liz was my friend they hate and when he they hated her they hated her so much that they hate that they had to be out there with someone who had to squat to piss they hated that she was better than them they hated that she was smarter than them and it's like yeah that's the disproportion I mean it's that it's the quote that gets trotted out what's a woman what's a man most afraid of that a woman's gonna laugh at him what's a woman most afraid of that a man's going to kill her and that is an exact <laughs> representation of the disproportional response to like the sparring between sexes where it's like a woman can be better at sports and then a guy next to her better at her job than a guy next to her and in retaliation for that he's like i'm gonna rape you because i want yeah. to establish power over you like you're funnier than me you're smarter that you make me feel small so you know what i'm gonna do I'm going to fucking obliterate your sense of self for probably the rest of your life in a way that's going to require intensive therapy and a lot of reconciliation. And you're going to have intimacy issues for a really long time. And this is going to have a lot of unseen and seen effects that you're going to be unpacking for years to come because you made me feel small. That is the disproportionate level of violence that comes at women for that kind of offense. So as he's laying that out, it was like, yeah, true. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. And then the, and she was my friend. You And that we see so often that these fraternal connections will sub for one another in the event even of heinous violence. Like how many, like how many friends do I have that even like in the events of like smaller scale, quote unquote, violence, like harassment, smaller assaults that are, that have happened against them and going to like by a mutual friend, like and going to another buddy, going to another dude being like, this guy's making me really uncomfortable. Like so-and-so's making me really uncomfortable. Like it's just like, I don't like being around. And they're like, Oh, he's just weird. Oh, no, don't worry about him. He's harmless. Oh, don't worry about him. He's, a, he's just a bad boyfriend kind of guy. Like, oh, don't worry. He's just awkward. Those excuses are made constantly for, for friends to other friends to insulate like bros from being, from having to experience any repercussions or moderations on their behavior because their comfort always seems to take the priority over the woman's comfort who should just get over it. And then when James Cromwell says to her, like, you, you, this didn't happen. It's best if you just forget it. It's best this didn't happen. That is what happens. And like when people say like, oh, you should have reported it. This is why women don't report shit. Because like at every step of the way, every step of the, every wonderful like video game boss, we see Madeline Stowe and John Travolta have to clear as they go through this process. Each of those is indicative of extremely real things that really do happen, but it's in this really sensationalized context. And each of what, as I watched each of those play out, I was like, oh yeah, I have a friend. I have friends that can stand in for every one of these stories that has happened on here and and that idea of reacting you know with the like she's fucking her way through the base to get back at her dad like that's a pretty extreme example but like the idea that she would engage in sexual off time gave her control back where she had had eminently stripped from her like and there's that part where like madeline stowe says to timothy hutton's character he's like you know she i loved her she was my everything she's my obsession like she wouldn't love me it's just because she couldn't love anyone paul which is a really reductive thing to like say about a survivor but like 
the idea of intimacy being forever altered and the capacity to connect being forever altered as a result of that kind of egregious violation and the subsequent gaslighting and the subsequent marginalizing from it, having seven years of repetition that your reality is not your reality and your experience is invalid and it doesn't actually matter as much as the trappings that surround you at all times. This is what you stayed silent to protect and now you live and work in it. So you're held hostage to it and you also leverage it as a tool of vengeance at the same time. Like, yeah, that would super mind fuck you. And so I didn't like the ways it gets, it gets, even if accidentally it stumbles in its bro allyship and to think it's so many things that are so brutally true. And it's so kind of callous in how it does it, that it reflects the callousness of the situation at hand that I was like, God, how the fuck, how the fuck did this get all tied together in a way that feels satisfying to me when it feels like the wheels should have come off the train miles ago but i just like i just want to keep plugging along i just want to keep plugging along so that in that way it works for me and but in the way that in the points that you're bringing up as critiques they're totally right like you're right it's not enough you're right it's really fucking misogynist you did it i don't know how you just did that but you just (laughs) like i look i'm amazed that we were worried kenny quite frankly i'm sitting here now (laughs) just being like what was I even worried about this episode? Like I, I, oh, I wasn't Jordan, worried. I, I was, was I was, I wasn't. I'm mean, never worried. How, I mean, okay, well, know, how? What, what, what kind of worry was it? What kind of? Well, worry it was, was more it? just like I just honestly just had no idea what movie you saw. Like, and sure, I don't say that, totally. and I don't say that with judgment. Like, I no, no, no. It was just like I don't because I was you know we emailed a little bit and I was like yeah exploitation film okay. <laughs> Yeah, like I okay. was just like okay, like again, and part of this has to do with, and and I'm I'm willing to again, like I'm watching this through the eyes of of a man. Sure, sure. And so I'm we, I'm we just, all I'm, bring our lenses. We all bring our own things to it. So like I watched this film through through that lens, and I didn't see any of the things that you're talking about, which is a, a weakness on my part. But that's but why I think we talk. That, that's why we talk. No, I know, and that's why that's why I, we do this. I, it's why we do exactly. this podcast. It's but it's great. also like. But this is honestly like, and I certainly wouldn't speak for Kenny, but I can't imagine a better episode coming out of this movie. And I truly mean that because oh, like- Oh, 100%. Because I'm just like, I I walked into this thinking, well, this is just a a garbage fire yeah. of, of morally repugnant people doing terrible things. And and by the way- And they I'm are. Completely convinced oh, I, I'm still I, not that. I still, I, think think, that, I still think that's what yeah. it is. Yes. But what yeah. I think it really, what I think is- great about this and where Jordan came from what just happened, which was amazing. Unbelievable. <laughs> fucking dissertation. Uh, is I love it as yeah. a little or big anthropological moment. Yes. About Completely. where male allyship was yes. before that term was even a term. And we're talking like that only we're talking like the last five, three to five years is is the framework in which that kind of that kind of naming that sort of exchange even exists. Like it has been a desert out there. Here's the thing. And here's the thing. I mean, this is not, you know, just this is our podcast. I'm just gonna say what I want to say because you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, (laughs) from, From a male point of view who aspires to be an ally, uh it, there has been it has been a bumpy road yeah. figuring out what you say and when you say it totally um and what i've learned and why i wanted this episode to go the way it went was the best thing to do is shut up and listen um not always 
and not, you know, we're on a we're on a podcast. Sure. You, you have a microphone in front of you. So <laughs> you are you are basically expected to yeah. answer questions yeah. from us. It's so a premise. In gen- yeah. So in general, it's not mm. necessarily the right thing to take the nearest woman you can find and say, hey, what do you think about this rape movie? Right. Yeah. But, yeah. but in this you particular You didn't throw a poll out on Twitter and just capture no, someone. Well, just give us some, give us some, you know. No, people. indeed. I imagine I caught so, you quite off guard fervently expressing my desire to talk about the general star. So, but but in, in this situation, I think that, you know, this is, I hope allyship is a difficult thing I, it is. I, it as, really as a, is a privileged diff- ass white girl i absolutely am am trying to navigate my way gracefully through that same minefield of wanting to be an ally to folks or a queer person but i present a quite like passingly heteronormative and that means being an ally to people whose passing is is whose passing is not an option in their life my like trans community like the brothers and sisters we have there like and, and and black and brown folks like it is that all the time and yeah being worried that any minute i'm gonna step on a landmine that's gonna ex- like jump up to head height and explode me and then i'm gonna have to reconstitute myself and learn to do it better next time yeah, and it's, which you know that was a reference to the end of this movie, by the way. It was. If, you have, if you haven't seen wait, this film, wait, which he, can happen. Oh, that was actually very cool. But which can, <laughs> which can happen, movie? right? Which can happen, and it's yeah. it, it's it's just it's just interesting. Nineteen ninety nine, a time before allyship was really a term, as you said, a time before people really understood that a time where this is where this is more or less where mainstream progressive politics, even before progressive, was a word. Yeah, yeah. Where, at the time, and I think that that's really interesting. Me too. Uh, and I think that you, um, I think you, you, I look at it differently mm-hmm. from a male from a male point of view and the totally. point of view point of view of a male who was not the best male in 1999. Sure, yeah, but who was pretty, but was pretty aware mm-hmm. of the ways in which we kept to ourselves and kept the circle tight and protected yeah. ourselves. And if I was trying to make a movie about uh this right mm-hmm. if i was trying to make a movie about a powerful man starter who was you know raped and later murdered and mm-hmm. the the system that covered it up i think i could do it pretty easily without thinking about the woman for two seconds um right. which is what i think happened here you, yeah right? you which know that cinematic that I, you know that cinematic formula mm-hmm. we, i think that's what happened i i think that i, I, I think, I think that from right. a male point of view yeah the the scene you highlighted about the um the soldier who was confronted by Madeline, by Madeline Stowe, and then she kind of like whittled him down. That is that is kind of the equivalent of a high powered woman laughing at him, at mm-hmm. least outsmarting yeah. him. Yeah, you know. Oh my god! When she throat. throws the underwear in the trash, she's yeah, like, "Yeah, I bought those? this an hour ago. I bought the the, the flick yeah. of her hand. I bought those an hour ago." And, and watching and, him and just yeah, from my from my male gazy point of view, that is you know that is a very simple that is a very simple example of I think. A male director, male writers, and a you know male person who wrote the book, yeah, making themselves vulnerable, yeah, um, which I, I'm I sure they thought right. was great. I, and by the way, it is good. It is good to recognize the ways and the, the way you feel in certain situations, even if it makes you feel less than. Absolutely, but you, have, you should acknowledge those and like externalize well, that art, right? and confront that and be like, yes. "All right, let's share that." And then, so the question, and the, the issue. So then, the issue I have with this movie. Mm. And the issue I will have with this movie, and again, this might just be a 99 thing, and this might be, you know, this I might be expecting too much from a mm. movie like this. But the issue I have with this movie is I think it correctly 
identifies and personifies the emotions of these situations and the correct dynamics of the situation. Mm-hmm. I think you very rightly point out, you know, the, the notions of dominance and violence, the omnipresent, you know, the omnipresent like threat of violence in a yeah. situation like that, particularly with people in the military, um, not throwing shade on people in the military, just people are trained killers. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're broken down to adhere to only chain of command. It's, it's, it's a fascinating psychological kill. experience. Yeah. So I think, you know, yes, exactly. I think what they come away with at the end of this uh, serves to kind of say, we cut the cancer out and now yeah. we can build back better. Yeah. And that is the the lesson from this movie that I think comes from a place of uh, whatever. Uh, there's no, some bad right. cops. It's not the system, yeah. right? Oh, I think you're totally right. I think you're at, and I think like that end card is just like, oh, well, Bless I hated the heart. end card deeply. Bless right? your the end card, yeah. The end card dropped me the 10 points. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It almost feels like it's for a different movie. It's for a different movie. It's like, what the fuck is, different movie. What are you even I talking saw, about? Like, I started like Googling, like, is this a true story? Because how could you put this on a fictional right. fucking movie? Yeah, when it's like the general did this, it's like, yeah. oh, wait, shit, is that Joe guy real? Like, yeah. what? Like, oh, I didn't. That's what I literally thought. I was like, wait, did you just put like, this? it's like the end of American Graffiti. No, they just put it all ended happily ever after. Yeah. And then That's it, what and they it also, said. Like, it's like, and then it's like, it gives some quote from like, uh, it yeah. doesn't attribute to a joint chiefs of Insane. staff Insane. person oh. without it. Like, it's like, there will be a time when there won't be a senior leadership position that women don't occupy in the military. Oh. But it also like, despite the entire premise of the movie that just happened, it gives no statistics about sexual no. assault in the military. Whatsoever. It was like, uh, well, if we were going to do a post-credit, uh, if we were going to do an epilogue card, I kind of think it right. should have been about assault in the military since that is entirely what this movie was about. Yeah. Even if you, I don't know if you know that that what this movie was about. So yeah, it it's is incredible. It's a real paradox. Point. So, um, Jordan, that I was don't, awesome. That was Jordan, this was exhilarating. That was thank exhilarating. you. That was that. it. Was everything <laughs> that that I'm I was back for, desperately back hoping this was going to be a problematic movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I don't well, know I that will, we. I will say, like in the in terms of rape revenge, like when I said it's a fascinating lens through which it, it's sort of like an interesting microcosm through which to view how women, how society, our society feels about women, how the industry that makes these movies feels about women at the various points that they come out. It's a really interesting way to like incrementally follow because like in exploitation movies, it's, it's the most rude, objectionable gloves off knives out kind of movie you could watch. And so it's sort of the most naked perspective on the point of view of the people making this stuff. And, and, And not just like the message that it's delivering, but like, if you can find out like how the actors were handled. And I think like what, it, what heartens me so much about what I see is the neo-exploitation movement with, with these like late later latest wave of rape and revenge films is how we see the merging of an art house style and sensibility with these movies that are particularly, particularly kind of grindhousey in their, in their past. Like obviously a movie like Slady Snowblood is very artistic. A movie like Miss 45 is very artistic. And I think is like the real predecessor to something like promising young woman, but like to see such style, brought to these films to see women actually being able to make them and to hear about the collaborative process of them coming together between the filmmakers and their their stars is really fascinating to hear about how the point of view on what making these movies should be has changed. And like like the movie The Perfection, which I love, which if you guys haven't watched that and you want to yeah, watch something watch fucked it. up, go in yeah, for great. it. Um, there is a scene and there is a sex scene in that. It's it's one of the great scenes of the past decade. It is a supercut dueling cellos dance club hotel room sex scene. 
um, between Logan Browning and Allison Williams. And it's super hot. It's super sexy. It looks amazing. Allison Williams and Logan Browning had final say on what the edit of that sex scene would be sure. like they were. And, and it was as, as Logan said, like it was a totally closed set. And she was like, and not closed with like, there's four people at the monitor who don't need to be there and a bunch right. of extra crew. She's like, it was me, Richard, Allison, and our cinematographer. That was the only people on set. Everybody else cleared out. And she talked about how her being empowered to have so much authority in that scene and have it actually be a closed and respectful set when it was being shot. So it could be a collaborative experience of shooting it like between the, the filmmakers, like the DP and the, and the director. She was like, that made me realize like what I can demand for myself in projects going forward. I don't have to settle for four guys at the monitor who don't need to be there. I can say, no, you said closed set. This is closed set. Like I had a say in like the edit bay cut of like how that sex scene was going to be put on film. Like I don't know why I should expect anything less on anything I do going forward. And the idea of that bar being raised for artistic ownership of challenging material where in a genre that is often built on the dismemberment and disempowerment and exploitation of women, but like is something that I love. And for the most part, it really succeeds for me and does it in a really fun way. And I can take things as they exist in the times in which they were made. But to know that that art form specifically is getting so much better and so much more interesting and so much more boundary pushing and innovative and allowing women to come in and tell these stories themselves and something like I may destroy you like being an amazing counterpart in the whole awards march with promising young women to have those what Michaela Cole did in that show and what Emerald Fennell did with that film it is amazing to see the promise of what can be more coming from those kinds of stories going forward and it also is a testament to if rape revenge stories can be made with integrity and heart and art and artistic sensibility and not just be grindhouse movies literally no other kind of movie has an excuse to not live up to its artistic and like human integrity on set uh, on it's this podcast fine. we rate films from 0 to 99 0 being the lowest 99 being the highest 50 being mm -hmm. the the sort of line in the sand of which you recommend a film or don't recommend a film. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we rate the film before the podcast and then we rate the film after the podcast if the conversation, which this one very much did, uh, affects the way that you see a film. <laughs> uh, yeah. I will go first. Never saw this film in 99. I'll be mm -hmm. completely honest. I came into this film today. This film was at a 10. Damn, Phil. Okay. Damn. Uh, I, 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 I just found it such a, a, a miserable experience. Now, That's uh, legit. And to be fair, perhaps the point. Uh, it was a miserable experience for me, and and I found it. I, I just I found it really upsetting. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm personally glad you were upset by it. It's very upsetting. It's I think a, that's a very yes. good response from you. That being said, um, you obviously gave an unbelievably articulate dissection of this film, um, which has definitely changed my perspective on it. Okay. I still think this film is a problem. I think it is mm -hmm. rife with problems. Um, I agree with and you. It is, and I am in a, <laughs> an unenviable situation to some degree or another because I honestly don't know if I could recommend this to somebody to watch. Um, I don't think it's... I hear you. I, I, don't, I don't off the cuff recommend it to people to watch. Right. I like get there like, so how do you feel about these kinds of films? Like, because it's a reckless recommend. It's a it's reckless a, recommend. So I am, I am on, I am at 50 with this movie. Whoa. Okay. Uh, That's a big jump, Phil. It's a big, it's am, a big jump. I am, I'm personally, jump. I'm on And I, and I, I genuinely, I'm not, I'm not, I'm certainly not blowing smoke up your ass. I really do think that 
I think I was perhaps a little callous and quick to judge the film just based on the emotional response that I had to it. I don't think that, and as we've discussed, I saw it through my own lens and I just found the whole thing just, I just kind of pushed it away and disregarded what it perhaps was doing or fell into doing as we've discussed. So I I can't recommend this film, but I think I was Mm -hmm. too hard on this film. And I think that there's perhaps, as you have very well laid out, there's more here than I was giving credence to. So I'm at, sure. I'm at a 50. Kenny, where are you at? I'm in a That's, much I different place love than it. you, Phil. <laughs> because I can't, because I think. It's like, I have dropped my score. <laughs> well, actually. you can't drop it much lower than where I was before the podcast. I was at, I, I was at a seven. Which is about, this is a very low score, Jordan. You should understand that a seven, I believe, would be the third worst film. Yeah, what was, uh, what's around there? uh, Chill Factor. Chill Factor. Love Stinks. Mm. Love Stinks. Um, Mm, Thomas Crown Affair, obviously. Stop it with Thomas Crown Affair, you fucking monster. I'm, the the Pierce Bosing. Thomas Thomas Crown Affair is a great movie, and Kenny's just being a dick. God, I, I can't I can't handle that movie. It's just like I it, maybe I need I need to watch it again. I need to give Thomas Crown a fair because I remember the it's, first time I watched it, I was like, I want to just walk under a car. Yeah, like this is so our, fucking our, our, boring. What's your score, Kenny? It's that but I want to go back it's to it's that kind of movie. I was obviously too harsh on it mostly as a joke, but it's a bad movie. <laughs> uh, uh this movie, it's not a joke. Um this movie I I, I gave a seven before this podcast, and mm-hmm. and and I I Come, like my come at my seven from a much different place than Phil. I, I acknowledge it during the podcast. I think it is almost entirely a seven because it is well made and it is so insidious. It is not. Yeah. I didn't think it was a seven because it's boring or troubling uh-huh. or upsetting or nasty. It is gross in a in an insidious way, and uh-huh. I think it is the kind of movie that that uh, calcifies. Are you holding it a seven. No, I'm going higher. Okay, okay. But that, the kind of movie that, that, that calcifies... I know, I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're standing. The kind of movie that calcifies bad uh, bad opinions uh, mm-hmm. in, in otherwise swayable people. Yes, so, yes. let's put it that way. Uh, I'm going higher. It's not that bad. It's pretty bad. Uh, I, do uh-huh, want it to, okay. I do want it to be uh, noted as one of the worst movies I've seen this year. An experience okay. I truly disliked. I will give it a twenty-five. <laughs> any mo- All right. any movie that can that could uh, provoke this level of conversation, this type of passion mm-hmm. uh, as a snapshot, it's very interesting. But I can't give it credit for something that I think it you know had nothing to do with, which is that sure. it was just an interesting film that happened to be made at the time. I think yeah. Birth of a Nation is also an interesting film that happened to be made, but it is in no way a good film. So, um, <laughs> so uh, it's a good, yeah. So, uh, here's, Jordan, here's what I will say. Yeah. Here's what I'll say why I think it's yeah. a 25 and not a 7. Because for, <laughs> me, it is, for me, it is no longer a film that should go find the nearest rock and crawl underneath it. it okay, that's th- good. There are situations in which this film is valuable to mm-hmm. understanding some things about this world and Hollywood and I mm-hmm. guess the military, but really Hollywood. Right, uh, yeah, yeah, Hollywood. That I think uh that I think it in, you know, provoke a conversation of this of, the, of of this caliber, which is very high due to our exceptional guest. Unbelievable. Thank you. But very Jordan, much. thank you. You saw this film uh back in the yes. day. So mm-hmm. what would you have rated it then? 
what would you have rated it before this podcast and after this podcast? I assume that that the podcast probably didn't change your opinion much, but but I'll, I'll you know. No, I I and I feel like because this is I I've watched it so many times, sure. like I, I couldn't possibly under I couldn't undervalue this movie. Like I, I this the amount of times like I've opted into investing in this movie, oh. this movie's got to be like a fucking eighty for sure, me, sure. like. It just like I couldn't it, like saying it as anything less would be so disingenuous. Yeah. And I'm going to say after this conversation, it's it's an 85 <laughs> because I this is the best conversation I've ever had about General's daughter. And I'm like, look at how valuable this can be. Yeah, this movie's. So yeah. I am ready to give it a few more points. 85 is a good score. It's a good score. Uh, you know. Open for you know people willing to do the engagement on this movie. I think there are rewards for them, like you said before, as an anthropological sure. artifact. Mm-hmm. Oh, I yeah. also I, I, I've I never just, seen so I've never seen Basic, the other John Travolta military movie. Right, but basic. I'm curious oh, yeah. as to whether or not it is better or worse than this. But I'm very curious to hear your opinion on something, Jordan, because next week we mm. have uh, we have a. Uh, past and future guest, Corinne Steichman, she's a TV writer, she, producer. She's going to come on to talk about The Love Letter. Now, I don't know if you know the movie The Love Letter, Jordan, by any chance. Um, I haven't seen The Love yeah, Letter. Yeah, I haven't either. The Love Letter has the sole designation in my brain as being the other film that came out the same weekend as The Phantom Menace. And they were attempting to oh. sort of, they were trying to do the, uh, you know, the yeah. counter program. Well, the people yeah, who won't want to see this right. will want to go see The Love it Letter. Did, it didn't play out as you would imagine. Um, but <laughs> the cast of this film uh, is Kate Capshaw, Blythe Danner, uh, Tom Everett Scott, Tom Selleck, and Ellen DeGeneres. Newsmaker Ellen DeGeneres. Newsmaker Ellen DeGeneres. So, Jordan, I have to ask, as we wrap up Mm -hmm. this episode, what are your thoughts on the Ellen DeGeneres situation that she finds herself Mm -hmm. in right now? Which is that she 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 saga <laughs> saga. Truly, she yesterday saga. announced. Uh, this will date the episode, but yesterday she announced that she is wrapping up her television show next year. Uh, that it mm. doesn't pose a challenge to her anymore, right? Which yeah. is an interesting choice of words, considering that I guess the challenge was to make people feel terrible for the past seventeen years or however long she's been doing this show for. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on on this? You know, you you being a media person, and you know, obviously being. It really, I really kind of like, I kind of like resent the bind that Ellen has put us sure, in. Sure. Um, fine, Ellen, be a, be a bitch. Right, right, like right. people can be bitches. Right. Like the, the, I don't, I don't need you to be the nice person that you are on TV. I don't want you to de- like, you don't get to dehumanize yeah. staff and be like maybe racist. And like, that is, that is mean, bad person behavior. And I don't think you should be rewarded with having a show. I think your contract should have been canceled because that's what should happen in the event of something like that and not just be like oh yeah those executive producers have been fired but like really fucking sucks because i remember when ellen got the like the presidential medal of freedom and i remember when i and i cried i cried and i was texting friends about it just like and i i like her the the two hbo comedy specials she had done Mm -hmm. in like the 2000s where it was kind of like her coming back and like i remember that special where like it was kind of like one of her first big big yeah. things she did after the the show melting down and after her coming out and that show has so much more of an edge to it than the i think the one that came i can't remember if that was here and now or if the one that came after was here and now but there's this the pair of hilarious hbo specials that she did and i remember going back and revisiting that being like oh, i forgot how angry this special right, is right right like ellen's pissed 
because fucked up stuff happened to Ellen. Like she came out, she made the gamble, she became an icon in a way, and then was run out of media basically. And it was like, she's done, she's given so much and she's done so much and she has represented so much good and so much positive. It's like, I fucking hate having to be of two minds on you because what you did matters and what you did was pioneering and what you did paved the way and what you are is such a, like Kate McKinnon meeting Ellen DeGeneres and like crying on her set. And Kate McKinnon's like never sincere about anything. She always kind of has her persona up, but then she met Ellen and was like, Oh my God, I am losing my mind because that is what she means to a generation of queer women and, and what she endures she kicked down for, for queer women in media. But then she dark-sided. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's like, weird. She's just, she's had a really strange, I mean, we've all had a very strange year, but then I would even say like the year previous to the pandemic where like, you know, there was the George yeah. W. Bush stuff and there was like this, there was just all this stuff that yeah. was starting to the, kind like, of like- apolo- Like being the Kevin Hart apology, yeah, like apology yeah, yeah, to her person. Yeah. And it really like, it's been, it's been interesting to, it's been disheartening to see her sort of become representative of a kind of Hollywood figure- that is very much like yep. we we very much learn the lessons of money protects money yep. and power protects power. Yep. And at a certain threshold, it seems like when you get to a certain yeah. level of insulation, you're not on the inside. That's well, got, what defines it's, you. It's, it's interesting she's to also watch a her. huge money maker, right? Like, she, oh god, yeah. and it's been interesting. You know. Kenny and I, you know, we did uh, Ed TV back in back many many moons ago, which is a '99 mm-hmm. film. She's very funny in that film. I mean, Ella DeGeneres I has love, a lot Mr. of Mr. Wrong. I've never Mr. Seen wrong Mr. Wrong is one of the. Co- oh my god, that movie! Bill Pullman as you like see a Mr. Wrong, stalker. Kenny. No, it, but I remember that was that was Ellen DeGeneres' romantic comedy. I remember the poster. She's in like a wedding movie. gown and she's being yeah, killed yeah. by top like, of each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Bill Pullman gets straight up fucking scary yeah. in that movie with this. It's a real tonally strange movie, but like it, I like we watch that all the time. We loved that movie in my house. We recorded it from TV onto VHS. Yeah. Like Ellen was a part of the household kind of but, situation, and it yeah. fucking sucks. I, I but think, like, well, yeah, at a certain point, you just became a rich person. Yeah. I think yeah. it sucks yeah. for you. <laughs> I, I think I, I, I do. I, I think that you know. I, I think we also, need, you know, need to separate these two sides of Ellen. Uh, and I think, yeah. and I think we will eventually. I think that you know, right now we're in the, we're in the midst of like kind of like bad Ellen, and everyone's yeah. like you know getting on her. But she'll go away for a bit. She'll come back, and hopefully, well, she'll, no, it's, yeah. it's not even about that. What she's accomplished is like. Uh, so legendary and so unimpeachable at this, this point yep, yep. that um, we'll get over the bad stuff because the good stuff was so important. Like, look, I don't want, you know, I mean, I don't well, want to invoke it's, it's, any. It's also like, but it's also like how deep to like, you know, if it was the open secret that she was a tyrannical well, was. boss yeah, on yeah, that show. Yeah. But like, also there are other rumors about who and how she mistreats mm-hmm. And like, who knows? I don't know the veracity of those things, but those like, it's like, well, the other stuff bore out yeah. and was accurate. And so it's like, I don't know the depth of the, I don't know the depth of the erosion in this person. And I'm, and I'm very, it'll be, it'll be a, it'll, it's a bad kind of curiosity. It, it's an unfortunate kind of curiosity to wonder just like how much reconciling yeah. are we going to end, yeah. eventually end up having to do or, with Ellen's legacy versus the reality of the person. If we find out mm-hmm. more and more that corresponds to things right, that people right, right. say, around because there could be a lot more to be separating you know that art from the artist thing and a certain point i don't engage in that like yeah you did a lot of good but i have to let you go now because it turns out you are fucking terrible maybe at some point you do enter the cosby zone it's true and you you hit an event horizon yeah and it's over it's true 
It's true. That's and she also just has seemed sucks. to hate for specifically for the show. She seems to have just hated doing it for so long. Yes. Like I remember it was a couple of years ago when they renewed her contract mm-hmm. for an additional few more yep. years at like twenty million a year, I think. And there was that New York Times profile where like it, she seemed to, she was making it very clear that this was not her passion, and it was kind of seemed like Portia was like, yeah, but you should really reconsider it. And I don't know what the dynamics of the relationship are that marriage, but like the it like she wasn't eager to keep doing it when she got re-signed. So it was a person who seems to have dark sided in some malignant ways, who was also getting a nice fat check for a job that they really wish they weren't fucking doing anymore. And then it became like really toxic senioritis. I fully agree. Um, we just want to say thank you for coming on, Jordan, and for thank you so much for, for having coming this on. This has been a blast. This has been an absolute joy. This was I. I honestly couldn't have asked for this episode to go anywhere. <laughs> um, I'm no, so I, glad. I really. Wonderful. This was absolutely wonderful. We can't wait to have you back. I'm going to shoot you. Thank you. Please uh, do. I'm gonna shoot you. Uh, our, actually, we're doing an 89 Patreon, so we've got some 89 films. So if you're interested in coming on for one of those, I'm sure there's a horror film that Kenny would love to force me to watch uh, with you. Oh, so, I would love you know, to look perhaps through that. For find sure. Something like that. For sure. But Good more than anything, thank you so, so much for being here. Thank this you for having me. Blast. This was excellent. One last thing. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989. Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Yon Katas for our artwork and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.